Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. On the latest WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again and we are inside four weeks, one month away from WrestleMania 39, which means the Silver King and vintage Chris Vanini are here to break down everything that happened in the world of WWE this week as the road to WrestleMania continues. We're going to be breaking down SmackDown, Raw, the match card as it stands, and the predicted match card of what is still to come all on this episode. You are not going to want to miss a second of what we have to say. What you also don't want to do is forget that the Getting Over Wrestling podcast is all about Defy. And when I say that, it means I want you to remember. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Because let me tell you something. On this show, we love the number five. I happen to love the number five. And why do we love it so much? It's because we want you to head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Drop us a five-star rating on Apple Take a few moments, leave a five-star written review. Let everyone know how much you love this podcast. Tell them why you listen and why they should subscribe. Because if you do, if you leave one of those five-star written reviews, we will read it live right here on the show. We also do not want you to forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast, not only for episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, all that good stuff. You get to vote in polls. You get to send us DMs and tweets that get read on the show. There's every reason in the world to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Chris, welcome in. You know, WWE uh, puts on 52 weeks, uh, 104 shows, and 260 hours of main roster television each year. And that's not counting premium live events. Not every episode that we sit down and review is going to be great. Most of them, or I shouldn't say most of them, many of them may not even be good. There are bound to be some stinkers and some clunkers. What I don't understand is how we got the relative shit that we got last week, where everything felt mailed in and maybe even thrown together to some degree, only for WWE this week to turn around 180 degrees with what felt like an incredible SmackDown on Friday and mostly a solid, damn entertaining Raw on Monday that delivered storytelling, may have lacked a little higher level of match quality on Raw, but nevertheless was five of the combined best hours of WWE TV we've gotten this year, and really we've gotten in the last you know six to nine months. Look, we joked, or I joked last week, that it felt like Raw had been booked by Vince and that it was the worst... Uh, uh, raw of the triple h era but last week you yeah last week and you pointed out and, and we both agreed that maybe they're just pushing everything off for a week because the next week seems like it's pretty loaded and that was true great smackdown great raw lots of storyline stuff happening it's exactly what we want four weeks away from wrestlemania is that we are advancing storyline still and not just sitting around doing nothing and we largely got that so yes this was a a uh, fantastic pair of shows and I'm excited to talk about them. And I would say for whatever level of depression you may have thought I felt last week about the build to WrestleMania, 
not all of it necessarily, but a great deal of it, Chris, for me this week got rectified. I am enthusiastic about the road to WrestleMania. I'm enthusiastic about the card that is being put in front of us. And really, especially coming out of the main event of Raw, I'm enthusiastic about this bloodline story that we're going to talk about in great detail today in the main event. Really, we have some news items to discuss first, but I cannot wait to get to that. Yes, let's get into it. All right. So three news items off the top of the show. Then, folks, the main event where we're going to discuss the bloodline, Cody Rhodes, Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens, the whole deal. We'll move into the good, the bad and the ugly. We'll talk booking the damn territory for WrestleMania 39. We'll go over the card as it is updated four weeks out, under four weeks out. And we will wrap up, as always, with the last word. Quick news item discussion to kick things off. WWE officially announced on Raw the WWE King and Queen of the Ring pay-per-view premium live event will be returning. It will be the first time since 2015 that it will be a premium live event. And just the second time since 2002. So more than two decades and just the second King of the Ring, now called King and Queen of the Ring. Now, obviously, the name was changed from the Queen's Crown for the women. And really, the unfortunate situation here is in a total monkey's paw deal. And we just talked about that like last week and the week before on this show where WWE is doing a couple things we really want them to do. But it's like a monkey's paw where sure they're doing it. But, you know, if X is happening, Y is also happening, right? Um, it's taking place in Jeddah. And look, it does make sense to some degree for this event to be held over there, given the royalty aspect of the entire deal. But obviously, it's not ideal whatsoever. And long term listeners of mine over the last three years on this podcast, six years or more, however long it's been that I've been doing wrestling podcasting and tweeting about wrestling. You all know I have been begging WWE not just to bring back King of the Ring, which it did in 2021, but to bring it back as a pay-per-view. We're finally getting that, except it's a blood money in the sand show. Saturday, May 27th, it will be in the afternoon. That is Memorial Day weekend and Sunday, the next night, will be AEW double or nothing. And really the last thing to say about this, Chris, the logo is damn nice. It's all gold and white, really sharp looking. It is a long name. Somehow it works. Yes. Uh, good to see it back. We love the tournament. We, we're glad they've got Queen of the Ring, uh, the name. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as for the Saudi Arabia show, I mean, that's what happened last time. You know, we, we got the final in Saudi Arabia as well. Now, I guess I don't, I, I didn't look, too much into this is the entire tournament in Saudi Arabia. They have not announced it. I would presume that we will get most of the qualifying matches and the opening round matches on television. My hope, though, is they go back to what they used to do. They do the semifinal matches early on the show and then the king and queen of the ring matches later in the show. I don't know if they're going to do that. I think because it's a Saudi Arabia show, they're not going to have people do double duty, especially having three men's matches and three women's matches with basically the same competitors. So I just have a feeling we're only going to get the finals over there. Mm-hmm. Not the end of the world, but I'd like it more if it went back to what it used to be, 
where you got three matches for e- for you know it was it used to be just the men's tournament where you got three matches all on one show along with title matches along with feuds. Right. I don't think they're going to do that though. That's just a guess. Right. Because there's a story you can tell throughout the tournament on a single show, but Saudi Arabia is not really the place to do that. Right. And yeah, but overall, good to see it back. Now, real quick, early picks. Okay, I know we're not even at WrestleMania yet to go ahead and be picking uh, King of the Ring, but I did jot down a couple names that I wanted to bring up to you, okay? For the men, if he drops the Intercontinental Championship, having Gunther win King of the Ring and challenge for the world title at SummerSlam, to me, makes all the sense in the world. If they're not going with him, then I think LA Knight, Chad Gable, Montez Ford, like those are the types Mm. of guys that you can be going with. LA Knight, though, Chris, to me, feels better as a money in the bank winner than he does a king of the ring. I agree. Also glad to hear you. uh, Well, we'll talk about LA Knight later. I've got some good things to say about him again. Um, As you listed those off, though, Montez Ford jumps out to me. That feels like the moment for him. It's the elevation. Yes, you think about... Billy Gunn won King of the Ring to kind of get him break away from the tag team. So Edge won King of the Ring. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a way to kind of push him as a, even though he was in a tag team. This you can just picture Montez Ford with the crown. Like we we talked about, you know, he's worn a crown before. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like you can just picture it. We've seen it, but you can like picture the whole thing, the whole gimmick. Um, so I'm going to say right now, if he's in the tournament, that's my pick. Well, I think it depends whether Gunther's in the tournament or not, because if he is, he's not losing. So, you know, that'll be dependent on whether he drops the title. I I mean, they could put the IC champion in there. It's been done before. I don't know that they will. Then for the women, um, if they want to go big, which for Saudi Arabia, they might do because, you know, they care about size and stature and all that. They could go with Raquel Rodriguez. I think that would make a lot of sense. If not her, then for me, it's Eosky or Liv Morgan. Those are the names that jump out to me. Yeah, I could see those two. And depending on where she is at the time, Piper Nevin as well. I mean, yes. King and Queen of the Ring is usually a heel gimmick. I know Xavier Woods won it last time, but Z- uh, Zelina Vega did as well. Um, so uh, that or maybe Carmella. I'd throw Carmella in there too. Hey, Carmella would just feel like an eye roll. It'd be like, oh, the same person again. You know, like she's won well, she so has many things. She's, she's won everything. She's, except she's, she's consistently. I, I like Carmella mm-hmm. more than most. And I think that she's underrated. Just feels like she's always way too involved in things that she doesn't need to be involved in. If that makes sense. And we will get to that later in the show. We will. Uh, so news item number two, uh, Sonia Deville was arrested for gun possession actually last month in Atlantic City. A valet found the weapon in her car. Uh, She was arrested for unlawful possession because even though she does have a gun permit in Florida where she lives, she did not have one in New Jersey. Now, generally, an incident like this is worthy of criticism, an athlete being caught with a gun that they don't have a permit for in a state. In fact, there's a story right now going on in Memphis about John Morant and this exact thing. Sonia's situation, a little bit different, though. Uh, She bought the gun purely for protection shortly after an insane fan broke into her home and attempted to kidnap her a couple of years ago. So WWE decided not to punish her in any way. She has not been pulled from the road. Uh, She was not disciplined. And to me, Chris, that seems like the appropriate decision given the circumstances. It's unfortunate that it happened. But if there's ever a gun possession charge that is understandable, I will say that this is understandable. 
Yes, I understand. And it, look, she's traveling a lot, so getting permits for every single state might be difficult. But given the situation she's been in before in the past, uh, given she's also a very publicly open, you know, uh, out uh, gay woman as well, like mm-hmm. just totally understandable why she would have that. I got no issues. And lastly, the big news item that you all definitely are waiting for us to talk about. Vince McMahon was backstage at Monday Night Raw. Vince was present at a televised WWE event for the first time since July 2022 when he got ousted pretty much from his role with the company. Now, he reportedly only visited for John Cena and because Boston is a really quick private jet flight from Stanford, Connecticut, obviously, and he reportedly was still not involved in creative and obviously he did not appear on the show. Uh, Sean Ross Sapp and Mike Johnson from Fightful and PW Insider, respectively, they reported that Vince was actually sporting a mustache, which is just hysterical when you picture it, because the long tail about Vince is he refused to grow facial hair and was actually obsessive about shaving. He didn't even want the hair poking out of his skin because he didn't want to let the beard win. And now he sports an entire mustache. But really beyond the funny bit there, uh, him being around both the company in terms of production and the talent specifically, the women, is a problem. And look, there's only so much we can actually say about it given we don't have any details, but it is certainly notable that he was there. Um, The most reputable, who I believe to be the most reputable reporter, Mike Johnson of PW Insider, he said he literally was there to see people and to see John Cena and just to kind of be around. And he wasn't involved in production of the show. He wasn't Gorilla, perhaps, but he didn't control creative. Paul Triple H Levesque led the entire thing. All the normal people did all of their jobs, and he did not do anything special while he was there. However, there does seem to be a pure desperation by certain people, and you know who I'm talking about, to take this to the extreme and I don't know what the goal is to try to turn WWE's positive momentum with the IWC. They tried to do it with Sami Zayn saying he should have won the title and WWE made a huge, massive mistake by not strapping him up in Montreal. And now they're doing it with this, trying to make it sound as if Vince was back there doing a lot more than just existing, which again, Mike Johnson and Sean Ross Sapp and others have reported was not the case. He was literally just back there to see Cena and see other people. I think it's transparent what's going on with those other people I am not naming. Uh, but Chris, in general, look, Vince backstage isn't good. Even if he's not there to do anything, him being back there isn't good for morale. Um, not a great development. We'll see if he's at SmackDown. We'll see if he's at further events. We'll see if he's at WrestleMania. I will presume that he's going to be at WrestleMania. I can't imagine him missing WrestleMania um, and just sitting in a suite and letting the show go by. I can't imagine that. But look, the show was good on Monday night. There were no fingerprints of Vince even though some are trying to paint that there were on the show. And that's really all I have to say. I mean, I don't know what else there is to note about it. Yeah, there's like three or so different ways to look at it. One is, look, he's the chairman of the company still. Like he's still in charge of the company. And for him to be around the company is not uh, a surprising development, so to speak. The second is, like you mentioned about his, as we now know, pretty long history of uh, harassment issues with women. And 
that is a concern, uh, especially since one of the uh, allegations involved an active talent at the time years ago. So right. that is certainly a concern in terms of just uh, comfortability and just safety of people around the workplace. And the third is the creative part of it. Uh, I don't blame people for feeling like we're slowly marching down a road where Vince gets back in charge of creative. Uh, that doesn't appear to be the case now, as is. But, you know, Vince has gone from being completely out of the company to being back in charge to now showing up at a show. And so like, it's, it's not right. hard to see a future where maybe Vince gets back involved in creative. Not that he has yet that, but, but, but that is, I think something is it's uh, plausible. fair. Yeah, totally. It's, it's fair to be concerned about it in the future, but doesn't appear to be going on right now. And like we said, we got a good, really good episode of SmackDown and raw. So I'm not too concerned about that yet. There's no reason to, it's not like, there's anything we can do to stop it if Vince right. takes control of creative. So just enjoy it if it's a good show. And it's one thing if Vince kind of comes back and like oversees it from afar. Let, let's not forget. I think people don't remember uh, Vince, even when he was fully in his creative role, he was missing TV numerous weeks. He was just doing it from Stanford or wherever he was. And he had other people, Bruce Pritchard, et cetera, on site kind of doing his bidding. Um, but so he doesn't have to be there to be involved in creative and if he is there, it doesn't mean that he's involved in creative. But I guess the point I'm trying to make is there's a huge difference between Vince not being involved at all, Vince perhaps having some say in what's going on, but Triple H really handling the heavy lifting. And really the biggest growth that we've seen in WWE creative has been in the mid card, the tag team division and beyond. Now, the women's division is a little bit rough right now, um, but you know, who knows all the reasons for that? It does seem like there's some plans changed type of situations there. Uh, but really, the bi biggest improvements Triple H has made has been below the main event. And even though the main event has also been fantastic, don't get me wrong. Uh, so if Vince has, you know, his overarching opinion considered, and he has some involvement in that way, that's a huge difference from what he was doing, which was being the one and only voice that mattered on creative and the person who would tear up scripts and rebook shows every single week. And they'd come out as a mess and we'd watch raw and we'd watch SmackDown and say, why the hell did we watch that show? It was a total waste of time. So, you know, is my preference to have Vince McMahon involved at all? No, I don't want him involved at all. Um, but what I care most about in terms of this show and the job that we're doing when we're reviewing the product is whether the shit's entertaining and whether it's good and whether the matches are high quality. And, so far, it still is. So until something changes, it's really much ado about nothing. That's the best way I can put it. Mm -hmm. I agree. All right, Chris, we have a lot of show left. Let's not waste any more time before we slide into the main event. This is the main event. Now, this main event, as usual these days, is completely about the bloodline, but it does span SmackDown and Raw. A ton to talk about. Let's get right to it. So the Bloodline opened SmackDown without Jey Uso, and Roman Reigns got a lot more booze this time than usual when he said, acknowledge me. This was an interesting visual also because they were all dressed differently, whereas previously they would all wear the same t-shirt to the ring, especially when Sami Zayn was there. Reigns had a new one with just him and Heyman on it. Uh, Cody Rhodes entered immediately after acknowledge me to loud chance. Cody said he wasn't there to invade or to do anything reckless. He just wanted a conversation, which meant the rest of the Bloodline wasn't needed unless Roman felt like he did need them there. Reigns bought into that, of course. Solo Sokoa gave Cody a death stare on his way out. Roman dropped the titles on the canvas and did Cody's line. What do you want to talk about? 
Uh, Rhodes pointed out all he's done is climb impossible mountain after impossible mountain, which makes Reigns' dominance relatively meaningless to him because it's just another mountain for him to climb. Roman laughed at Cody's poise and then pointed to the titles, rhetorically asking if Cody has even competed for one of those titles or even main evented a singular WrestleMania, which, of course, he has not. Reigns said he's the most experienced Mania main event of all time, and he was groomed since he was a child, both by his father, Sika, and Dusty Rhodes, who he respected. He explained how many conversations that he shared with Dusty meant a lot to him and helped shape his career. And then he did a pretty good Dusty Rhodes impression, I gotta say. This, I, let, me, let me try to do a dream real quick. Baby, you have it. You couldn't get rid of it. You couldn't sell it if you wanted to. You are it. That was pretty good. Everybody who worked with Dusty and NXT like has one. Yeah. Some are better than others. That's on the better end of it. And I also cut the it part of that. So we now have that for the show separately. <laughs> you have it. You couldn't get rid of it. You couldn't sell it if you wanted to. You are it. And Roman doing Dusty as the soundboard. That's fantastic. Anyway, Rain said in all of those talks, Dusty never mentioned Cody. Roman said he also misses Dusty. Then he picked up the titles and told Cody, quote, if there's anything he didn't teach you, I will, before sticking out his hand for a shake. Cody then seemed to, in that moment, come to the realization that Roman may have been the son Dusty always wanted, which made beating Reigns a necessity because it's now the only way that Cody himself can exist. Then he shook his hand. Now, obviously, Chris, anyone who watched this knows it was an exceptional confrontation. It particularly hit for me because while Roman like dominated the middle of the segment, and he did, Cody bent Reigns to his will at the start and then closed it by getting up on Roman. Reigns sold the entire thing beautifully. He showed a lot of confidence while looking at Cody only for his face to sink every time he turned away from him as he walked to the back with the realization that his mind games didn't work. And he actually, in the end, gave Cody extra motivation. Those facial expressions and Reigns acting chops in totality shined again here. Rather than do the entire Dusty likes Roman more than you move from Heyman and Reigns and, and that shaking Cody's confidence, this allowed Rhodes to kind of dig in his heels even more, trying to win not just for his father, but to potentially prove his father wrong as well. Cody was an A in this. Roman was an A++. And in totality, this segment was an A+. It was a huge rebound from the last 10 days of booking that we got after Elimination Chamber. When I first watched it, I wasn't sure how to feel about it. I was like, that... It didn't it didn't grab me the way I expected to do. I thought Roman was spectacular, but the Cody stuff didn't quite click with me. And then I watched it again and it hit me a lot better. It, 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 I realized, oh, they're they are telling a story here. Cody is going through a change at the end of this promo. Like you said, um, Cody was kind of doing his normal stuff at the beginning in his normal cadence and all that stuff. I did like when he talked about. You know, people said I, me and my little friends couldn't sell out an indie show. Then the camera cuts to Roman and he smirks. Which, which oh, did was, I forget to drop funny. that line? Shit, that's my fault. Yeah, yeah. Good so call. that was good. Uh, but it was interesting that he was able to kind of hint toward all in, but not necessarily AEW. But Roman's Roman's lines here were elite. This was these mm -hmm. are the deliveries 
you give when you are one of the greatest ever. Have you ever won that one? What about that one? You ever even competed for one of those? I've been main eventing like the last five WrestleManias, dude. What the hell have you been doing? Like that is how you remind all of us. Oh yeah, like Roman is that dude. For as much as Cody feels like the new face of the company, he has not accomplished anything near what Roman Reigns has accomplished. So that was a good way to kind of reset the characters and where they are and remind us why Cody still is actually an underdog. When it comes to the dusty stuff, uh, I told you on, uh, it, it reminded me of, you know, this star Wars episode two attack of the clones. Oh my when God. Count Dooku, when Count Dooku was talking to Obi-Wan about Gwygon Jin and basically being like, you <laughs> what didn't are know these him. names? <laughs> you didn't know him the way I knew him essentially is what he said. I told you on Sunday night, I was going to have another, would you call him Gwygon Jin? Gwygon Jin played, played by Liam Neeson. Okay, uh, you may a, know who, who he is. Yes. Too bad he's uh, in that show. Christopher Lee's Count Dooku. Ewan McGregor is Obi-Wan Kenobi, but it, it was, um, I liked it at the end. I, I liked that ending because like you said, it changed the story from Cody's doing this for his dad. It changed it into Cody's doing this for himself. Right. And, and, and as I've said, that's the story to me that it should, that it should be. They can't really say it or they won't really say it, but Cody Rhodes quitting because he was at the bottom of the ladder, creating AEW and then coming back to WWE to win the championship is a ridiculously awesome story. That's like an unprecedented, almost in the history of pro wrestling type of story. And instead we've just done like, I'm doing it for my dad, doing it for my dad. And it was unclear if Cody was like, he kept saying he doesn't want Triple H to see him as Dusty, but he, Cody himself keeps talk, talking about Dusty. So the way he finished this promo to be like, no, nah, this ain't about Dusty. This is about me. And Roman being like, oh, maybe I didn't quite get, maybe I accidentally motivated him more than I wanted to. Right. It, it was great. I, I, it took me a second time to kind of really get it. But in the end, I thought it was great. The only thing I thought they missed here, and you know, I know they don't want to reference AEW, and they really... Cody referenced all in, not AEW earlier yes. in this promo, as you pointed out. The only thing they could have done is Roman could have said something like, you know, even at that other company you started, you didn't have enough confidence in yourself to go after that world title and point out that, you know, he was never champion there either. So or just, or just even, or, or, or even say, like, or even say, even in a company you made, you didn't win the championship. Yeah. Anything like that. So just to reference that would have gotten a big reaction from the crowd, but that's like a, the most minor of nitpicks for, again, what sure. I thought was an A-plus segment that erased the one criticism that has been shared about this feud, and it's what you just said, which is that winning for Dusty wasn't enough. Problem now solved. That now becomes a secondary or at least a parallel part of the story to Cody winning for himself because Cody now wants to prove that he, Dusty's actual child, is better than Dusty's greatest creation. That's poetry, that's drama, that's cinema. And it also sets us up a situation, Chris, where if there was any doubt, Cody absolutely must win at WrestleMania. There is no other option now. Correct. I, I saw some people saying after after Roman delivered that amazing promo that, that he like, should retain, that he should retain. I saw that. Too. And I, I, and I, I, I don't agree with that. Uh, for, no. for exactly as we just said, like now Cody has the actual story where he can't lose. Yeah, retaining last year against Lesnar, totally fine because it was a freaking Lesnar match. But here against Cody with everything they're doing, especially with what happened on Raw um, with John Cena, we'll talk about that a little bit later. 
<laughs> that's the guy you're putting over and they better be. And Chris, let's mm-hmm. end on this before we obviously move on. There's a lot more to talk about. Those who thought Sami Zayn needed to be the one to take down Roman Reigns. I respect the opinion of our listeners or anyone else who thought that way, but it was straight up blatantly wrong. If there was any doubt that Cody was the right choice as the WrestleMania main event, this segment between them, the first of probably three that we'll get, I assume, before WrestleMania itself, this erased that. Yeah, I mean, I already kind of felt like that and just the way Cody had handled everything. But yes, getting him face to face with Roman here, feeling like a guy who believes in himself to stand up to Roman man to man. That's what you need, and that's what you got. All right, now there is more from SmackDown and still a ton from Raw that we're going to talk about. Uh, Heyman and Jimmy were cutting it up backstage when Reigns asked Jimmy if he spoke to Jay. Jimmy said Jay's a hothead and needs more time, but he's getting better by the day. Roman snarled, saying he's running out of patience with Jimmy, who then promised to take care of the entire thing. Roman asked for a status update later. Jimmy said Jay needed even more time before accurately relating that Jay said, hey, leave me the hell alone. Roman was incensed and blamed Sammy, telling Jimmy to accompany Solo for his match and eliminate Sammy, which will result in Jay coming home to the bloodline. Heyman called it wonderful, but Reigns completely dismissed what he was saying because Jay only has one week to rejoin them or Roman would take it out on Jimmy. And this booking here, the way they did this was so fucking genius, okay? What's brilliant about it is it harkens back to the original sin, the origin of Jay falling in line with Roman. Because if you remember, Jay refused to submit to the tribal chief and call him the head of the table and all that shit. He only joined Roman initially because he had no choice but to save his brother when Reigns was choking the life out of Jimmy inside, I think it was, Hell in a Cell. Reigns set up the opportunity here to put Jay back in that kind of submissive mindset because he was again faced with a choice, the same choice he was faced with three years ago his brother, or himself. And even if Jay was to ultimately fall in line, and obviously we have a lot more to talk about, his resentment for Reigns will obviously grow from that moment. I thought this was absolutely stellar storytelling and sensible booking because now it started creating a reason to actually have the tag team title match that we want because we know otherwise Jay and Sammy don't really want to fight each other. In fact, I thought we may even see Sammy playing the angel on Jay's other shoulder at some point, but obviously given what happened on Raw, and we'll talk about that in a minute, we didn't get the chance. I just loved the way that this was handled on SmackDown. Yeah, and and it was a reminder of like, you know, Jimmy didn't like what Jay was doing, bowing to Roman early on. Like Jimmy and Mm -hmm. Jay had their own different kinds of stories throughout this, and they've really kind of come back to all of them you know, two plus years later, which is awesome. It was. And it also gives me hope that regardless of what happens at WrestleMania, there will still be a Roman J story that is told after that at some point. But probably I, I, I think so. I don't know if it's Roman versus J specifically, but. Um, well, you know, th- th- their story has to be wrapped up because that's that's where it started. I mean. It is. It is. But it might be something we get to in the summer. I, I don't know. I'm just saying eventually. I'm not saying I'm not saying yeah, immediately. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying at some yeah. point they're going to get back to that and they're going to have to tie that knot. Now, maybe it factors into what happens at WrestleMania. Maybe right. Jay is the final person who refuses to help Roman and then Cody beats Roman and, and that's right. how the whole thing ends. Um, 
but you still would have to assume that they need to fight at some point after that. So maybe I'm just really but excited yeah, there, there, to see how they. Yeah, come I'm excited to too. There's a lot going on in it, and and to to pull out these again these details that have been going on for two years makes you trust that they're that they're doing it right. Exactly. Now, one more thing from SmackDown. We did have Sammy against Solo as the main event of the show. Sammy was also shown before SmackDown cutting a selfie promo on the arena concourse. He was threatening the bloodline with like 100 plus fans all chanting around him. He said he knew his scheduled match wasn't about actually getting the win, but exposing him for an attack for the bloodline. And that became evident when Jimmy accompanied Solo to ringside. Solo kicked out at one after a tornado DDT, but barely saved himself from a fall after a blue thunderbomb. Jimmy pushed Solo aside as Sammy attempted and missed a haluva kick, with Sokoa quickly winning with the Samoan spike. The heels attacked after the bell with the chair wrapped around Zane's neck in the corner. But as Jimmy yelled that all of this was his fault, Sokoa was ready to do the hip attack. Jimmy stopped him because he wanted to be the executioner. That let Sammy recover enough to stand, take the chair, throw it at Solo's head, and then Haluva kicked Jimmy. He went to wear out Jimmy with the chair, but Solo recovered. And then Sammy ran away with Reigns furious, watching Zayn stand tall as SmackDown ended. This was ultimately a smart way to keep Solo undefeated, but have the babyface still stand tall at the end of the show. It also gave Roman even more reason to follow through with blaming Jimmy if needed, because as we saw here, it actually was Jimmy's fault because Solo could have taken him out and Jimmy told him not to. The Bloodline stuff on Friday went three for three, and this was a strong capper to a top tier show. Yes. And I like, like you said, that like acknowledged Roman, like we're not, we're not splitting this into Roman does Cody stuff and KO and uh, Sammy are only doing um, uh, Usos stuff. Like it's, it's all still very much tied together and that just makes it all feel more important. And it makes you feel like that even if you wanted Sammy to win and he didn't like, he's still very much involved in the Roman stuff. Exactly. Now moving over to raw because this whole thing continued and hit another gear Monday night. We had Jimmy solo and Heyman arriving at the show with Paul setting the stage for Jimmy to solve the Sammy problem and solo to solve the KO problem because they both had matches on the show. When the guys left, Heyman immediately called Reigns, but we didn't hear that conversation and we don't really know what was said in that phone call. So we started Raw with Owens against Sokoa. Solo was appropriately on his own and KO attacked before the bell, only to get thrown into the ring post twice. Owens also took like an inadvertent shot to the groin. Jimmy distracted on a KO run. Sokoa capitalized with a hip attack into the corner and barricade, plus a Samoan drop later. Uh, Owens twice dodged him into the post, so Jimmy distracted again, but got bounced off the ring apron. Solo ate two super kicks, a cannonball, and a swanton bomb. And then Jimmy ran in to break the fall for a disqualification. Sammy ran out of the crowd to save KO from taking the splash through the announce table. He got some shots in, and then he chased both heels away with a steel chair. Fans chanted his name, and he extended a hand to Owens on the canvas, but Kevin rolled out of the ring and walked to the back rather than accept and shake his hand. Sammy confronted KO backstage, reminding that they are too much, they being the bloodline, are too much for them individually, and they need to get on the same page to reach their objective, even if they don't team up, even if they're not friends again. Owen said, well, no shit, but I've been fighting them on my own for eight months, and I don't want to work with you. You should just go back and join the bloodline. Sammy walked away, and he was really disappointed. Now, this marked Sokoa's first official loss on the main roster, and it being a DQ was certainly disappointing, but it was really the only way to book the match. And because of that, I thought it was totally excusable. This also fit within the story that's being told with both 
Jimmy and Solo seeking pain over victories on behalf of Roman, and Owens being hesitant to accept Zayn as his partner again. Nothing about this was special, but it kept the ball rolling, and it set the stage for what would happen later in the show. You know, I say all the time that the Usos are among the best ever at breaking up a pin at 2.99, and that's exactly what Jimmy did here. And yet, like, it meant nothing. Either he, <laughs> if you think about it, it meant nothing because he breaks up the pin for a DQ. So Sammy wins instead of Sammy winning anyway, which he would have won. But that's why it worked because of what happened on SmackDown and the idea that Jimmy like kind of cost a, a match here and he has to kind of like fix things. And so we, that's how we fix things, even if it doesn't actually fix things. <laughs> so it, it um, it's almost like just it was about the pride of a pinfall loss or whatever. And you can say, look, uh, Solo Soko still hasn't been pinned. You know, you can you can still go with that or submit. And, um, yeah. Yeah. So so and, and the Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn stuff makes sense. What, what he said, uh, you know, they're continuing that it's going to take Sammy doing this several times, probably right. for Kevin Owens to finally believe him. And we only have three episodes of Raw left until we have WrestleMania, three Raws and four Smackdowns. Yeah. yeah. So like that's exciting. Like some the last several manias it's like everything is set almost like four weeks beforehand and so there's you're just kind of treading water for a month until the show this is still very much uh you, you we're still waiting for the big moment before and, and then once it happens then we have wrestlemania so like it all feels urgent and that's exciting well you know what that's a really good point because the main event of wrestlemania is almost always set you know at the royal rumble and sometimes they add someone to the match or there's a twist or a turn but it's generally pretty much set and WWE has to figure out a way to like book their shows for three months or, you know, two to three months um, to get you all the way to that point. One of the reasons why this build to WrestleMania is so interesting is because it, the main event storyline involves two, like three different arcs, really four different arcs, all kind of combining at, you know, into one. And the Cody one is only one portion of the entire thing. So that's set. Night two of WrestleMania is set, but we're still actively building what I expect to be the night one main event of WrestleMania. And we're also building a story, Jay and Roman potentially, that may take us past WrestleMania. All of that is extremely exciting. And it's one of the reasons why every week on TV still feels fresh because they left meat on the bone. And it's they never have done that before. I'm not saying never. They rarely do that. Yep, exactly. Now, the one issue I have with this entire story before we move on to everything else that happened on Raw is we have a character who is supposedly the one guy in WWE that has a deep, extensive memory and understands continuity. Yet Kevin Owens easily somehow forgets all of the awful things that he did to Sami Zayn over their entire WWE career and really their careers preceding WWE as well, such as break his back with an apron powerbomb in NXT, take the title from him, and basically treat his supposed best friend like shit for however many years it's been, eight years, however long they've been in WWE. Yet all he seems willing to remember is the last eight months. And again, that's like my only real frustration with the storyline. Maybe Cody or Sammy or maybe they bring it up. Maybe Kevin comes to that realization on his own at some point over the next couple of weeks. I don't know, but with all the logical, sensible stuff that they're doing, it seems like the one gap where Kevin should have some introspection to say, look, man, yeah, you know, maybe I need to reconsider this because I was a piece of shit to you for 10 times longer than you were to me. Well, it's not. 
he did acknowledge that. He did. Back in, in, in the fall. When, when, when Sammy turned on him after War Games, Kevin Owens, I think it was after War Games, and Kevin Owens came out and said, like, look, dude, I did a lot of shitty things to you. So, like, I get it. I don't blame you. I'm not mad at you. And that was that was essentially the acknowledgement of it. Does it need to be brought up now? No, but if anything, I think that's what um, that's what Sammy needs to bring up. Sammy, Sammy is the be. one who needs. Yeah, Sammy's the one who needs to say like, "Hey, man, you did all these terrible things to me, you know, but we're friends and we can get past that. You need to get past this." You, and maybe you know, that's like, the you know maybe like the that's the season, thing that does it. Sorry, to interrupt you. You know, like the final season of The Office, where like Pam's quest, and I'm assuming you watch The Office. Uh, I have watched The Office. I did not watch it like start to finish, so I couldn't tell you every storyline. Okay, but do, do you remember Jim giving Pam a DVD? Mm, sort of. I kind of oh, remember. Yeah. I haven't watched it. This is unbelievable. All right, well, for everyone else who actually uh, watches one of the most popular comedies of all time, uh, near the end of The Office, Pam is questioning like why Jim loves her, and, and she just doesn't understand how he could he could be willing to give up this dream job in Philadelphia for her. So he gets a production crew, to basically compile a DVD of all the moments that show the things that he's sacrificed or the decisions he's made or those intimate moments where he professes his love for her that she had never really known or seen before. And what I would love to happen in this feud, and I guess a DVD obviously in 2023 probably isn't the best move. Maybe it's a USB drive. Maybe he just puts it on the TV. I would love for Sammy to say, hey, like Kevin, you know, you're pissed off at me. You deserve to be pissed off at me. Sit down, watch this, and tell me that we can't get back on the same page. Hit play and show like a highlight reel of all the shitty things KO has done to him over the years, yet Sammy, still here in this moment, wants to team up with him and take down the bloodline. I would love for something like that to happen. I do think that's probably getting a little too in-depth for what WWE has the time to do here. I just think that that needs to be acknowledged more, or maybe ultimately it's part of why Kevin ultimately decides to team with him again. But it just, to me, it remains that one logic gap and it's minor, but it's the one thing where it's like, look, man, yeah, the last eight months has been bad for your friendship, but the eight years prior, you were the aggressor. You were the piece of shit and you should be recognizing that. That, that was, yeah, I I think that ultimately can be it. Sammy says that then he's getting beat up and Kevin Owens comes out and saves him and they hug and I, 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 I feel like that's probably what's going to happen. And actually, the way you phrased it, uh, speaking of TV shows, have you watched I Think You Should Leave? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So basically, you've got Sammy saying, you know, I used to be a piece of shit, but people can change. The baby understands that people can change. <laughs> With the slick black, slick back yeah. hair, sloppy steaks, yeah. the whole the whole nine yards. So we'll see. All right. That, that's a little bit more of a forced reference, but I'll take it nonetheless. All right. We got more to talk about. Uh, Heyman backstage hyped up Jimmy while simultaneously reminding him that Roman expects him to end Sammy and get Jay back in the fold, which obviously put even more pressure on Jimmy. We also saw KO talking to Cody Rhodes in the background of an Elias segment. Zane later backstage said he wished Owens was not being stubborn, but he needs to realize everything is different than it was in November and he was going after Jimmy Uso. Now, given what's about to happen, I'm curious as to whether this was all meant to be a ruse or not. One of my favorite parts of Raw was KO and Cody being caught talking because it seems to me like Cody may play a role in getting Sammy and KO back on the same page. That would be another great babyface moment and some smart booking. We'll talk about that in a little bit. 
I just wanted to see if you caught that live and kind of what you thought about the setup here. I actually did not catch that live. I, I completely missed that. I think I was the so that was the Boogs Elias segment. During that, um, there were two conversations yeah. going on. There was I was there I was, was driving. Reed, there was Bronson Reed talking to just like a stagehand or someone over yeah. their right shoulder. And then over their left shoulder, it was KO and Sammy talking by a road case. Okay, no, I actually was running to the store real quick and was just playing the audio of the show on YouTube TV on my phone. So I was Got not it. looking at it. So I missed that. That's interesting, though. Yeah, so try and to it does maybe, exp- And it does explain what happened at the end of the show. It does. And you can kind of look it up even maybe while we're chatting here, because the next thing I got to talk about goes pretty long because we had Sammy against Jimmy in the main event of Raw. Now, this match was filled with commercials, probably because the John Cena segment went long. Sokoa got ejected from ringside for nearly doing the Samoan spike on Zayn outside. Sammy quickly hit a blue thunderbomb for a near fall. Jimmy caught Sammy flying with a super kick when Jay suddenly appeared in the crowd, ran down to ringside, and jumped on the commentary table to boost his brother, to give him some confidence. Sammy missed a haluva kick, but countered a Samoan drop into a pinning combination and got up on Jimmy with a sudden victory. Jimmy sat catatonic in the ring. He couldn't believe he lost, probably scared of what Roman Reigns was going to do to him. Jay briefly consoled his brother. Then he angrily grabbed his We The One shirt in pain. You can see it on his face and ultimately bumped his shoulder and walked past him. Jay looked back with a snarl. Then he went outside and he saw Sami Zayn and he said, I trust you before hugging him really tight to a massive pop in Boston. Zayn was completely shocked that he was getting hugged. It actually took a moment for Jay's decision to like settle with him. You can see it on his face, but he went wild after he realized it was actually happening. And they both held up the one trying to get Jimmy to join them with Sammy saying it's not too late. But after a couple moments, as Sammy looked away, Jay super kicked his damn head off and then he screamed. Now, the camera right after he did this showed Jimmy with a huge smile creeping across his face in the ring before the Usos and Sokoa beat Sammy's ass. That happened until Cody Rhodes made the save in a full suit, mind you, ran all the way down in a full suit, forcing them to dip out of the ring as Raw went off the air. And Chris, just like that, we have the official setup for the tag team title match. This was straight up perfectly executed. Jay continued his trend of doing some of the best character work in all of wrestling right now. And even though we knew this swerve was coming, his manipulation of the audience, it was just masterful from grabbing Jimmy's shirt, legitimately still showing disdain for the bloodline and the pain to snarling behind Jimmy's back to selling his alignment with Sammy to the delay of the expected super kick that we knew was coming but we're just hoping wouldn't come to the way his attitude completely turned on a dime after he delivered that kick. And then the cherry on top, Jimmy's smile, the pop for the hug and the pop for the super kick in succession made for a couple outstanding moments. The crowd really bought into it. It may have been the first ever holy shit chant for a hug that I've ever heard in wrestling. (laughs) These were attitude era style pops for the swerve. It made perfect sense in storyline. Jay does have problems with the bloodline. Jay probably does trust Sami Zayn more than Roman Reigns. But still, 
family comes first, and more importantly, brotherhood comes first. His actual brother, Jimmy. He saved Jimmy from Roman again and turned on Sammy, at least temporarily, which now serves as the pendulum for the undisputed tag team title match to happen at WrestleMania. And how appropriate that Jay turned on Sammy in literally the same venue Sammy turned on Kevin to prove himself to Jay four months earlier at War Games. This was perfect booking in a segment on Raw to follow up the A-plus on SmackDown. And holy shit, I am pumped up for this. This is cinema. This is, you, you submit this to the Emmys, you know, Dude, for, should. For, for this type of stuff, for the stories that they told for these moments. And it was just like, just like War Games, same building. Also, just like um, Royal Rumble, where the kind of turn against Sammy comes with a super kick from Minuso. Like, right. like, it was Jimmy doing it before, and now it was Jay doing it this time. I actually think that in story, Jimmy didn't know Jay was going to do that. Like, I think he thought Jay really did side with Sammy and then was like pleasantly surprised Mm -hmm. when he didn't, Um, because otherwise, why take the loss? You know, like, like just have Jay come out, interfere, cost Sammy the match, beat him up. No, this was I think Jay really was conflicted about this and ultimately had to make a decision and had to go all in on what his decision was. And um, so so that was just tremendous. Again, Jay Uso, main event Jay Uso, like the character work, the acting, the facial acting he's doing, like just as good as anybody out there, man. That was just such good stuff. The the him and Jimmy looking together, that felt like they were doing that for so long. Mm-hmm. Like he was just looking at him and almost crying and just like you could feel the conflict within him. And and then to ultimately turn on Sammy was was, you know, I didn't I didn't think I wasn't sure we'd get it right then and there. I thought he was, he hugged Sammy and I was like, oh, all right. I, I, I guess we'll drag this out for a bit. I thought it might be the next week or the week after. I, I thought it goes. might extend to SmackDown where yeah, like, I didn't expect it to all happen. I didn't Jimmy, expect- and he goes in the ring to beat Jimmy up and then Jay comes down. Like I thought something like that was going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So I like, cause that's what wrestling does, you know, but I didn't expect it to all happen on one show. So that like that got me. So like, that was just great. A plus plus to everybody involved in this. And then yes, Cody coming down to make the save. You know, he gets to be the big baby face. Him and Sammy are still friends. You get the rub from Sammy for the people, you know, to, to get behind Cody. And also that explains the segment that I missed about talking to Kevin Owens. You In K-Vape, you could say maybe Cody's saying to KO, like, hey, you know, like, are you do you have Sammy's back? And KO's like, no. And Cody's like, all right, then then I'm going to have it. Maybe like that, that could all make sense. Yeah. And really, this is just... It's hitting on all cylinders. And you mentioned Cody making the save to end the show, which after the backstage conversation with KO, it just seems to further indicate to me that he's going to serve as some type of mediator between Sammy and Kevin to get all three of them on the same page to take down the bloodline. That was a secondary story throughout the entire show. And if you really think about it, Cody, Sammy and Kevin right now are three of the most over baby faces besides John Cena in the last decade, maybe more. I'm not saying they're the three most one, two, three. I'm saying three of the most over baby faces that we've seen in WWE over the last 10, 15 years. They're all teaming up separately and together to dismantle the bloodline, which has dominated WWE for the better part of three years. 
And you mentioned it. I'm not joking or being sarcastic or tongue in cheek. This is an Emmy worthy story with Emmy level acting, particularly from Sammy and Jay. If this is executed, if the plane is landed, it would be the perfect culmination to the greatest long-term storyline in WWE history. And you know what? Perhaps wrestling history. And I know I have said that a few times recently, but in watching this product for 30 years, there's just nothing that compares to it. And look, the immediate thing everyone goes to is, well, what about the mega powers explode? It's the greatest storyline of all time. It was a great all-time storyline. There's no doubt about it. But it didn't last as long. It didn't have the match quality, the promo quality, the intricacies of storytelling, the number of characters, both protagonists and antagonists, the legitimate acting, the drama, hell, the comedy, the family and friendship dynamics. Mega Powers Explode just does not compare to Bloodline Implodes. And people saying it does, at least in my opinion, are purely on a nostalgia trip. This storyline is almost all hits, very few misses. We have less than a month left until WrestleMania. And just like, wow, that's the only word that I can use. I'm not just happy, I'm pumped. I'm happy, I'm pumped is what I am. And there's a damn tear in my eye. With a tear in my eye. Just land the damn plane. Yes, and again, Everything seems set to do that. They they have completely set it up to, to get us there. We talked about after Elimination Chamber, people were upset that Sammy didn't win. There is, I, I kept saying, the story is friendship and family, mm-hmm. and that is what Sammy is still battling. And when him and Kevin Owens come together, that's going to be a moment. That's going to be the oh Mega Powers God. Unite, you know, yes. you know, essentially, um, type of deal. It's not just, oh, Kevin and Sammy win. There's your moment. No, the moment is them coming together first. Mm-hmm. Like, the, like that. That is going to be a huge thing. And they're not just giving it to us right away. Like I thought they might after Elimination Chamber. They are dragging it out. And again, Mega Powers didn't have, you know, one to two weekly television shows and a pay per view every month to like, you know, expand that. That's story. what makes it, it even not, more impressive. It was, it was not a lot of depth to that story. That's what makes this thing so incredible. That this has been going on for two and a half years, and it's delivered on almost every single thing. So that, that was such a shallow, yeah. it was such a yeah. shallow story. It was unique for the time and it was incredible for the time. Yeah. It's still incredible today when you go back and watch, you know, the, the documentaries that they have, but Chris, the intricacies, the psychology, it's, you can't compare them. No. And everybody, every single person has become a star from this, from, from this show, like main event, Jey Uso, Roman Reigns is one of the greatest champions of all time. Sammy's one of the best baby faces of all time. We have the longest reigning tag team champions of all time. Like this is just, this is a story on historic levels for so many reasons. One of the longest reigning WWE champions of all time, a dominant character ratings are going. I mean, it's just everything, everything comes together here and it just, it's unique. It's remarkable. And you know what? The best part about professional wrestling is when you can say these words, I can't wait to see what happens next. Now, Chris, we're not going to find that out until this coming SmackDown and, of course, the next Raw. We're going to break it all down right here for you on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. But on this show, we still got plenty left to discuss. We're not going to waste any more time. Let's get to it with the good, the bad, 
and the ugly. And I'm sorry, Miss Rosie Perez, I call a spade a spade. It just is what it is. But you can't give credit to anything dude says. Same dude to give you ice and you own some... Jordan. It's time to wake up the dead. You sound a little naive in them articles that I read. Now, you know it was a crazy week in WWE when John Cena returning to the company isn't even in the main event segment of this show. Cena opened hour three of Raw, obviously to a huge ovation, but Austin Theory interrupted before he could speak. Theory crept the crowd cheering and said he's only a WWE superstar because of Cena, who he respects. He immediately offered Cena the gift of fighting him for the United States Championship at WrestleMania, and Cena quickly said no because Theory hasn't earned the right no one cares about him because no one believes him because he doesn't believe himself. Cena called Theory generic with no harder soul, a guy in the ruthless aggression phase of his career, a phase that almost got Cena fired. Cena said Theory is a pair of trunks away from being a jabroni, and he lives up to his name constantly because he's nothing more than a theory of what a great WWE superstar should be. Theory did have one great line about Cena's bald spot that got an awesome reaction from the crowd. He suggested Cena was giving up and not respecting the fans by refusing the challenge. That turned Cena's mood. He said he'd rather be bald than have fake crowd noise piped in because no one actually cares about his matches. Cena reiterated he said no because Theory isn't ready, and Cena beating him would be Theory losing everything. And even if Theory somehow won, he would still be losing everything because the Raw after Mania crowd would eat him alive. Cena got the crowd wild for the match, and eventually he accepted only on behalf of the fans, saying Theory made the biggest mistake of his life because he doesn't have it in his head, his heart, or, after a dick tap, his balls, adding that he needed to do some work in that last area. As Cena then walked to the back, he introduced Cody Rhodes as someone who does deserve to be at WrestleMania. They did a huge extended hug, they said a lot of words to each other, and then the segment just kind of ended. Now, the end with Cody was meant to be like a passing of the torch. It came across just odd to me because Cody didn't go out to the ring or after commercial, he didn't cut a promo or do anything. It was like doing it just to kind of do it. Besides that, this was just fantastic. It was as good of a one-week, one-segment build for a Mania match as there's probably ever been. Both of them were pitch perfect, though, yes, Cena cooked theory in the promo battle. <clears throat> Cena turning down the match at first was a nice touch. And he was on one here. This was like top level Cena on the mic. The same guy that buried Roman and went toe to toe with The Rock. Cena murked Theory so hard. It actually made me think Theory ultimately retains the title at WrestleMania. Now, I saw people criticizing Cena's evisceration of Theory, but it was literally the point of the entire segment. Yes. Theory has to overcome his idol, not just doubting his ability, but doubting his head and his heart. The only line that did not make sense to me was Cena saying Theory would lose even if he won because the crowd would be all over him. Well, the crowd was all over Roman Reigns after he beat The Undertaker, and that worked out just fine for Roman. But this was damn good from start to finish, and Cena has not cooked like that in a long time. My first reaction was, it's weird seeing John Cena in John Cena gear now. Like, we got the same look for a decade, but now I'm so used to seeing him in Peacemaker and Fast and the Furious 9 and all these commercials and all these things 
that now seeing him in the jorts and the shirt and the hat just feels weird. It feels like he's dressing up like a kid again because we're I got so used to this. So so that jumped out. But overall, this was this was classic Cena tear down the new guy, you know, work shoot type of stuff that he did with Roman Reigns. He did it with AJ Styles. He did it with CM Punk. This is what he does. But normally those past instances would be here's the guy that the fans really like. The Internet really loves that the company is or isn't pushing as much. I'm going to run them down and see if they can hang with my level. And it was almost like a test, you know, from from Vince and whoever to kind of see how it worked. And that's one reason everybody hated Cena for so long, because he would bury these new guys. Um, But this is different because Theory is the handpicked guy and he's a heel. So so that was a, a bit different as well. And yes, the story here was John Cena completely tearing down Austin Theory to four weeks from now, building him back up to being the guy. Like you couldn't just have Austin Theory's not at the level where he, he's not at the level where John Cena says, all right, we're going to have a fight. Like he's yes, he's the U.S. champion, but he's absolutely not at that level. So he has to spend these next four weeks talking about how he's not at that level and getting to that level. Mm hmm. You're you didn't like the line. If you if you win, you lose because you got to go, you know, whatever. I actually did like that because what he was saying was you're going to have me for the next four ish weeks to kind of prop yourself up. Mm -hmm. And if you beat me, you know, and you can have that, but I'm not going to be there to prop you up anymore. And you and you're not ready to handle that right now. Yeah, but which has beaten Cena. Like, I get what you're saying. Right, but it, it's it's similar to what he did with Roman Reigns, which was when he said to Roman Reigns years ago, which was, uh, the only reason I'm coming back is because you can't do your job and right. be the face of the company. Like, th- that, it's it's like, that. that's what he was trying to say, basically, was that, like, you, you're going to have to be able to do this without me, uh, and, and, and just beating me isn't enough. Like, you have to find yourself in that process. Yeah, he, so, he's so. saying that the elevation I'm going to give you isn't going to last because you're not capable of, of taking the ball yes. and running with it, even if you yes. win. And that's, yes. it, it makes sense. But to say that that's him losing, it, it's, you know, if, if he beats John Cena in a title match at WrestleMania, that's a big fucking deal for look, Austin Theory. So just look, it, man, I'm just saying it didn't hit the same as the rest. Sure, of the but team. let's so. let's not forget Fandango beat Chris Jericho at WrestleMania one year, you know, and like yeah. that just that didn't turn into anything. That's why the story is more than than just who wins the match. The story is more than they didn't. I don't think they even mentioned the U.S. title, which was there. I, I don't Theory initially offered the challenge for the championship and seen it. Yeah, but it, like and it is for the championship. Uh, yeah, but like it's not like they talked about the title history, or whatever. Like it was barely no, even there. Yeah. So, so like this is really just a, the story is can Austin Theory be the guy? And it felt like everything Cena was saying was Triple H issuing him a challenge. Like we're going to give you this spotlight now. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is different than fighting Pat McAfee or whatever a year ago. Like you're getting this now. Now you got to prove that you got it because right now what you have isn't all of it. So I think that's a great story. Um, looking forward to it. I hope we get Cena a few more times before Mania. Uh, we'll see. And I assume, uh, last, I assume it's only going to be the go home week. So I, I don't want people maybe. to think that like Cena is going to be on every raw. I think we're only going to get him once more. That's just well, like a guess. Well, I mean, there's only three left. So right. Like, you know, two, two weeks many. of theory so, kind of talking shit. One week of Cena coming back and then yes. WrestleMania. The, the last thing I'll say is that theory's beard was in better shape. A little bit than better. Previous weeks, but it's too long. And I, I, I can, I can, 
is something that I'm dealing with too. When you have a bit of a stringy type of beard and it's that like thick hair, you got to keep it short and tight because if it gets long, it looks more stringy. Yeah, and you have to it's, trim the part on the cheeks because it's, it's thinner than the rest. And it's yes. out and it looks like he, it looks like he has like a Cameron Grimes beard and it's like, dude, you're wearing really nice sneakers and, and really expensive clothes and sunglasses indoors. And I know, I know Cameron Grimes theoretically is, is a rich gimmick as well, but, but you're, you're dressed really nice. You're dressed all to the nines prim and proper. And then you have a stringy ass beard. Just trim that. Yeah, shit off. Str- str- yeah stringy hair. It just, it, you can't go along with it. I've yeah. tried it. It doesn't work. You got to keep it tight. So yeah. that's, that's what he needs to do. But yeah, it was an exceptional segment from Cena and a great start to the good, the bad and the ugly. We've got a lot left to talk about. So let's keep getting to it. Uh, Rhea Ripley fought Liv Morgan over on SmackDown. There was an ugly Tope Suicida by Liv early. Luckily, she was okay. The key to the Tope Suicida, because we see this happen all the time, is you just have to go for it. There can't be any hesitation. Once you hesitate, when you get from the halfway point in the ring to the ropes, you slow down, your feet catch the rope, you fall on your face. You just have to go for it. And Liv has usually done that. I was surprised to see that happen here. Rhea was also a little bit too close to the rope, so maybe she slowed down for that reason. Whatever. I just had to point that out. Anyway, uh, Morgan then hit two code breakers, first a springboard and a second one off the middle rope. Ripley escaped oblivion, but when she tried a top rope code breaker, Liv did. Uh, Ripley countered that directly into a powerbomb and then hit Riptide. Then she locked in the prism trap, adding a knee to the back of the neck for the submission victory. The crowd was all about this match with Liv's false finish getting a huge pop, and there was a great camera cut of a little girl crying after Rhea won the match. That gets this an automatic good, but (laughs) there's more because it got plenty of time. Uh, A third of it was during commercial break, but we still got a a pretty long match overall. I do wish it went longer. What we got was great. A little bit more of it would have been even better, but the finish was strong with Morgan losing mostly because she screwed up. She ate a finisher and took the submission They're starting to reestablish the prism trap, which is key because perhaps they don't want Charlotte Flair to take the one, two, three. They would rather her submit at WrestleMania. And that would actually work in storyline too because Ripley tapped to the figure eight at WrestleMania 36. The match was good. The booking was good. Getting prism trap over was good. The little girl crying was good. Liv's response was good. Guess what? This was a good match. Good segment. Yep, everything was good. You laid out the whole match. I had no more no more to really say about that other than they live still feels like a big deal. And that's very important because you know she had her title reign and you know after she lost it the question with anybody who wins the title for the first time and loses it is can you still feel like a big deal when you no longer have the title and you're not necessarily chasing the title. And live still feels that way. Like the presentation, the way the match was booked, the crowd reaction that she's getting. Uh, Liv Morgan still very much uh, near that, probably that second tier in the women's division, uh, which is uh, very good to see. It's interesting you say that because someone named Cake at distraction, C-A-K underscore, uh, tweeted us, what is the point of having Liv eat all these losses in a row and so many of them by submission when her character is meant to, quote, enjoy pain? I also don't see her being on the WrestleMania card at all, which is a huge disappointment to me. I don't mind that she loses, but there seems to be no direction or plans for her. And it's felt that way for a while. And I do think that's a fair analysis of the situation. WWE seems to be in a spot right now where, you know, since Liv is not going to be on the card or it seems like she's not going to be on the card, they decided to use her star power and popularity to put over the other two mania challengers, Ripley and Asuka. Those are the only women that have beaten her and neither of them 
pinned her, I don't think. I think all three of her losses have been submission, one of them a double submission inside the Elimination Chamber. She put over Asuka's new submission finisher on Raw, got knocked out and didn't tap. She actually just got knocked out to two submissions at Chamber and then tapped to Ripley's ultimate prism trap with the knee on the neck on SmackDown after taking a finisher. So that's why this is happening. My assumption is after Mania, she gets built back up with some wins. This doesn't seem to be her time right now. And if you're not going to use someone on Mania, then you need to use them to the best of their ability to build Mania. Do I wish that she had a Mania match? Absolutely. She deserves it. She's had a great year. She's one of the most over women on the roster. And if they can find a way to maybe create like a women's tag team number one contendership. They have some teams developing and her and Raquel Rodriguez are one of them. I'd love to see her on the show somehow. But if she's not, you look at the women who are on the WrestleMania card and you can't really pull any of them off of it. Right. That That's exactly what it is. It's just not Liv's time right now uh, because there are just other things going on. And that just, that happens. Look, Liv was the number three per or was the runner up or the number three. She was at the very end of the Royal rumble. Like, mm-hmm. like they still very much number two. Clearly, she was a runner up. To, to yeah. So yeah, they, they very much clearly see her as a big deal and you could see her becoming a challenger for Rhea Ripley, maybe at SummerSlam or maybe a little bit after mania like that. That's ultimately what it is. Your, your point about she is being used to help other people get over right now, which is a testament to uh, how they feel about her, which is a good thing. But yes, would would love to have her on Mania, would love to have her somewhere. Just sometimes it's not your time. And I think the fact that the way they're treating Liv and the reaction she is getting tells me that she's going to be okay. And one of the biggest things online coming out of SmackDown, let's not gloss past this. WWE posted a great video on social media with Liv bringing the little girl who was crying backstage. She gave her a huge hug and she promised, I'm going to wrestle for at least another eight years that way. When you get old enough, we can win the women's tag team titles together. And it was just one of those moments that makes you realize, like we get so deep into the analysis on this show, that we often overlook like the aspect of what wrestling means to kids. This was a really sweet moment. And let me dig in my heels even more that Liv Morgan should be pushed to the damn moon. She is everything they thought they had in Alexa Bliss. And I don't mean that just because she's short and blonde. I'm talking about the connection with the kids. The difference is she's actually better than Alexa Bliss because she can actually wrestle. She has a great personality and she connects with them on a more real level, not just a, oh, I carry a doll around level. So Liv is the future of the women's (laughs) division. And I'm not trying to bury Alexa. She's talented and she has things going for her as well. But there's a clear difference that Liv continues to improve in the ring and Alexa just continues to be stagnant and in some ways regress in the ring. That's all I'm trying to say. I'm not trying to hate on her. I'm just talking facts. I, I think you're a little hard on Alexa, but I, I, I agree that Liv has definitely elevated. I did not see that video, so I'm glad you mentioned it. Oh, that. you that's need awesome. to watch that. You have to go see that, it. That, that's awesome. And yeah, Liv, Liv has done a very good job of being a, an a, you know, an ambassador for the company just in a lot of different ways. So it's, it's been great to see. Uh, she was literally on Jersey Shore with Baron Corbin last week, representing WWE at some festival. So, um, but uh, actually I say, go seek it out. Uh, I tweeted the video. So go get at getting overcast on Twitter. You can watch the video of Liv Morgan and her number one fan. Got a lot more here left on the good, the bad and the ugly. Uh, Dominic Mysterio ran across Santos Escobar backstage at SmackDown. He said Ray should have punched Dom in the face last week. So he challenged Dom's manhood saying Adam Pierce, granted him an open match if Dom will meet him man-to-man. Then Escobar blew a kiss at Ripley. 
Escobar entered in his mask. He also was carrying Ray's gifted mask on a stand and placed it atop the ring post. And then Dom entered with Rhea anyway, like the chicken shit heel that he is. So we had Santos against Dom. Escobar made Dom stare at the mask, screaming about legacy. So Dom spit on the mask and later made Santos stare at the mask himself while trash talking. Escobar went on a run, but Dom distracted the referee by blatantly pulling out brass knuckles. That allowed Ripley to pull Escobar outside and hit him with the riptide before jumping on the ring apron to celebrate as Dom added the frog splash for the win. Dom then stole Ray's mask. He ripped it apart as Santos screamed at him from the ring. That led Ray out with Dom holding up the mask and daring his father to strike him. When Ray refused, Dom dropped it on the floor and then sucker punched Ray when he bent over to get it. Now, Dom was rough in a couple spots here. There was a lack of fluidity in parts of the match, and that was completely on him. But this was an incredibly successful segment. Escobar got great babyface pops working against Dom. The finish was freaking fantastic with the heels coming across really smart and Ripley looking dominant by hitting Riptide on another man on the same show that she already beat Liv Morgan. And they set up a perfect reasoning for Santos to tag with Ray if they decide to go with a tag team match rather than Ray versus Dom one-on-one. Really good stuff here. Yes, good stuff. I'm glad Dominic got a win. You know, like like he can be a chicken shit heel and stuff like that, but he needs to, if we're going to do Ray versus Dominic in some form, he's got to have some wins under his belt. And we love uh, like Auto Del Fantasma and Santos Escobar. I think he's a future star, but he, he doesn't need the win right now. He's just, he, he he's fodder in the storyline right now to get to Ray. So this all made perfect sense. Good stuff. You know, the pop when Ray finally punches Dom is going to be deafening. Like, I cannot wait for that moment. I assume they pull that yes. trigger before WrestleMania. But beyond the men here, I would love to see this result in like Ripley versus Zelina Vega in the next week or two, given she's part of Legato del Fantasma. Because watching Rhea like throw Zelina around would be a great look for her in particular before WrestleMania. We could even get the Legato team against Dom and Priest as a warm up for Ray and Escobar. There's a lot of options to integrate Judgment Day into this storyline with Ray and Dominic. Yeah, completely. There, there's a lot of different ways you can approach it. Um, that's why it's been so fun. It, it, it's unlike anything else really kind of going on, and that's why we love it. For sure. Now, moving back to Raw, we had Bianca Belair against Carmella. Backstage before the match, Mella trashed Adam Pierce, saying if he was good at his job, he'd have given her a chance to earn a spot at WrestleMania with a victory. Chelsea Green entered backing up Mella as they continued shit-talking Pierce, who overheard their conversation but didn't want to get involved, and he just dipped out in the background, which was hysterical. Uh, Green suggested they go above Pierce's head after Mella beats Belair. Then they made fun of Byron Saxton. They shoot him away, and they entered together to Mella's music. Mella pulled Bianca down by her braid, but Belair kept overpowering her. Green distracted the referee during a cover after a handspring moonsault and nearly got Mella the win after a blindside superkick. Chelsea ran in but got thrown out of the ring and into the timekeeper's area. Mella caught Belair with a roll-up using the ropes, but Belair kicked out and then hit the KOD for the win in nine minutes. Green attacked after the bell, but Asuka made the save fully suited without her face paint. Mella ducked the mist, which nailed Chelsea in the face. Of course, she sold that incredibly, and fans chanted for Asuka briefly as the women stood off once again. Now, this worked for three different reasons. First, suited Asuka is an immediate good. But Belair got the win despite being at a numbers disadvantage, and the partnership between Mella and Chelsea got established. Now, what WWE needs to do is figure out an actual story between Bianca and Asuka, because them just looking at each other three more times over Raw the next three weeks 
That ain't it. But there is still time. I do think a beat the clock challenge is the way to go. It's also interesting Ugh. that Asuka is clearly in a tweener role because WWE knows she's going to get cheered pretty mm -hmm. much no matter what she does to Bianca. On top of that, the Mella Chelsea pairing is completely for me. This is what I have been talking about. Naturally developing a partnership between two women so they can tag, but they can still simultaneously be singles competitors. That's exactly what this entire women's division or, or the majority of the women's division should be like. They should be in duos, trios, and groups so they can get rotated into the tag division but still fight as singles competitors. Now, these two, Chelsea and Mella, they mesh extremely well together, a princess and a Karen, complaining about what they deserve and blaming others for their failures. I like it. I like it a lot. This was a double good here, even if the match was fairly paint by numbers. Double good. I really have to shout out Carmella here because at the beginning of that promo, when, when, when she starts with Byron, she starts off with, hey, Byron, like really like cheerful being nice. And then by the end of it, after talking with Chelsea, she's calling him a mouth breather and telling <laughs> him to get out of here and basically being a creeper, like just a remarkable turn just within not not face the heel turn, but just a turn of personality within a single promo just because she started talking to Chelsea. That's why that pairing is working. And Carmella just showed a, a very wide range there. Uh, it's not new, but I love Carmella's theme. I, I, I really like it. And I Bianca seemed to, too. She was kind of like nodding along to it a little bit during the entrance. I kept showing it. So mm -hmm. I just thought that was good. Match was fine. Paint by numbers, you know, whatever. Um, Asuka coming in kind of for the save, but much like Cody Rhodes running down in nice shoes uh, <laughs> was a little awkward because she couldn't quite run, but she wasn't walking either. And it looked like she was having to be very careful with her steps. Um, was was a little awkward. I am, I don't say terrified, but I'm very uh, discouraged by the Bianca Oscar thing. Here. Yeah, me too. Because I am, very, very concerned that we are going to get in a week or two Bianca and Asuka against uh, Carmella and Chelsea. Can they coexist? Well, and we're going to do and yeah. we're going to do the exact same thing we did with Bianca and Sasha uh, before we get into this. I think the problem is that Asuka is just not a full heel and people know that and WWE knows that people are going to cheer her, which is why we wouldn't heel. have booked it this way. Well, even if she is a full heel, people are still going to cheer Oscar because they want yes. Oscar to win. What this made me concerned about isn't so much the, will they coexist or can they coexist type of booking, which you know what? For one feud, just one singular feud, it is okay to do it. Is it trite? Yes. We haven't gotten that in months in WWE in, in right. maybe the entire year, like, like the last 12 months, it, it's almost never happened. So in one feud, I'm okay with them doing that. My bigger problem is it doesn't feel like a scenario where Belair is going to lose the title. Yep. That's and Bianca going over Oscar at WrestleMania. I mean, it further establishes her, but like how much more establishment does Bianca Belair need? She has the Royal Rumble. She has two WrestleMania wins um, over Sasha Banks and Becky Lynch. I mean, those aren't just wins. Those are major wins. Does she really need to beat Asuka as well? I, I truly hope Asuka comes out of WrestleMania with the title, not just because I want it as a fan and I want to see Asuka get a big moment and succeed on a big stage. It legitimately would be better and refreshing for WWE Women's Division for Asuka to be on top. But the way they're booking it, 
it just it doesn't feel like they're going to do it. Although maybe because the women's tag team situation has changed, which we'll talk about in a moment, maybe they will change both women's titles. I just I, I don't know that that's going to be the case. Right. And yes, they don't do two. They haven't done. Can they coexist as much recently? And it's one. The problem is this could be in kind of the problem is almost every Bianca WrestleMania feud is similar. This would be kind of two of the, the Sasha feud and this one are, are very similar right now. Outside of chasing Becky going into last year's mania, Bianca just hasn't had any great stories. And that's been the that's been the kind of the thing with their character where she's like she's already like super seen a level. And what is the story you can tell if she's not chasing the title? Um, and they haven't figured that out. And they apparently haven't figured it out going into this. You know, they they there is no story here with her and Asuka. And with three episodes of Raw left and them maybe teaming up, maybe I I don't think we're going to get one. And that's incredibly disappointing because yeah. Bianca is amazing, but her character needs work and we just we're still not getting it maybe she wins and turns heel at mania i don't know but she needs to be refreshed a little bit i think she does and and the best way to refresh her is by having her lose so i do hope they follow through with it i hope that actually happens we got three weeks left uh in terms of raws and shows and you know until we get to the ultimate preview so no prediction yet but um we'll see what happens that's the best i can say one other thing before we move on uh kevin patrick i think we gave him a modicum of praise. I think I forget if it was last week or two weeks ago for like an improved night. It was still wasn't good, but on this raw, he was awful. And Corey Graves was terrible during this match and really throughout the entire show. I have to believe a change is coming to commentary on the raw after WrestleMania because dude, this is just completely unsustainable. This duo. It's not great. And look, we know Michael Cole will be on mania, but uh, it's not great. There's nothing more to say than yeah. just it really hasn't been for a while now. And they seem to be even more and more combative, which is mostly Corey just continuing to take shots at him. Yeah, uh, it does not. It, it is not a long term answer. All right. So Becky Lynch and Lita entered proud of their women's tag team title win last week before Lita announced their equalizer, Trish Stratus. She quickly came to the ring and reminded that she had a confrontation with Bailey in her last appearance in WWE. Bailey and Damage Control immediately interrupted Trish. Bailey criticized the faces for being selfish and stealing the spotlight. She said Trish and Lita were their inspiration, but Damage Control would retire them. So Trish just challenged all of them at WrestleMania. The heels attacked, the faces got up on them, and the segment ended. Now, I usually don't rewatch Raw or SmackDown. But I wanted to rewatch the main event with, you know, Jey Uso and, and Sami Zayn. So I said, you know what? Let me rewatch this. This segment did not sit right with me at first because it just sounded like the crowd wasn't really into it. But when I went back and watched it again, they were popping for this, even if it was not bloodline level responses. I think this being sandwiched between John Cena and the bloodline did it absolutely no favors whatsoever. Changing the titles only for the new champions to be involved in a six-woman match with the titles not being defended at WrestleMania, that to me is ridiculous and nonsensical. I love all six women involved here. I am thrilled that Io Sky and Dakota Kai are getting a WrestleMania match. I'm happy that Bailey is finally back on the big show after being left out of it, both because of booking and injury recently. And clearly, this is a huge personal achievement for Becky and Bailey who legitimately looked up to Lita and Trish and have talked multiple times about wanting to wrestle them in WWE. It's just, 
not that exciting of a match for me. Like damage control never comes out on top of a brawl. And it feels like one of those eye roll, oh, let's get the legends on the show and have them go over type of bookings. The segment was good overall. It was better than I thought it was on first watch. It felt rushed. I think that was due to time. This really should have been an hour one or hour two of Raw. And I think the response to it would have been even better if it was earlier in the show. The booking here is not the best, Chris. But the match itself is WrestleMania worthy. Yeah, everything about this just kind of felt awkward. I mean, Lita and Trish, you know, were never amazing on the mic. And a lot of what they're saying is very much like applause lines that aren't quite landing. Mm -hmm. And so it ends up being Becky who has to kind of carry their side of the story. And Bailey's story is like basically throughout the history of damage control is just like complaining, you know, about stuff all the time. And so it's just that's one reason just damage control hasn't quite worked for me. And so there's not an edge to this yet. Like, like, like the faces just won the titles. Now they're going to fight at WrestleMania. Like they're not chasing the faces are on top here. The heels are underneath. So that creates a, a, a strange dynamic. Still looking forward to this. We're, we're getting Lita and Trish at WrestleMania, which is awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, yeah. The, the, the tag team championship part makes it kind of weird or whatever, but like, it's it's cool to see. This is look, this is one of those you bring in the the old timers, the part timers, whatever the, the the legends to come into a match. You remember it. That that's the point of it. You know, we have two separate women's titles matches on the card, um, so this will just fill the role that it's in. But yeah, considering you know you have two of the greatest, you know, most legendary women's wrestlers of all time, you kind of want some bigger crowd reaction, and it's just it's not it's not quite landing yet. Yeah, I just think they have to stop shoving it in hour three. I don't know why they're doing that. It should be an hour one or hour two uh, storyline, and they just need to do a better job kind of hyping it up and giving us reasons to care because one side of this is a team that complains all the time and loses all the time. The other side has three of the most popular women's wrestlers of all time. And, you know, yep, it's, exactly. not like it's not like it, it's a surprise it, match at WrestleMania. You're it, booking this. You're building a storyline, and that's tough. Yeah. You, you, Exactly. There's not a story. Like I said, the heel, the faces are on top here. Like, like, like the heels are underneath and they just complain all the time. So there's not, there's just not an edge to that, that I think you need. Now it's possible that this is a plans changed situation. Let's go ahead and move on and discuss why that may be on SmackDown. There was a planned Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler against Natalia and Tegan Knox tag team match that I criticized last week uh, that got called off due to a backstage brawl earlier in the show with Rousey injuring her arm and subsequently wearing a sling out to the ring. That resulted in Baszler against Tegan Knox one-on-one, although Tegan entered with Natalia to her music. So it was still like a four-woman setup. All of them were around the ring. Knox lost in an arm bar in two minutes. And then she cried like a child selling it well after the bell. I just thought this was awful. Uh, Knox was made to look pathetic, and it was to no end because we already know that Baszler is dominant. I know someone has to do the job and someone has to lose, but at least let her compete and get some offense in for five or six minutes. This was straight up bad. Straight up bad. Not only did Tegan Knox come out to Natalia's theme, but Shayna Baszler came out to Ronda Rousey's theme. Very strange (laughs) to to lead into that. Um, Yeah, just bad. Nothing to it. I don't know if plans changed or what, but I don't really know where this is going. Let's get to that part. So apparently Rousey has a legitimate injury. It wasn't Mm. supposed to be bad enough to keep her out of WrestleMania. But given the booking that we just discussed with the tag team champions, 
it does kind of feel like maybe plans change because otherwise it doesn't make sense to keep Rousey off mania. Now, maybe plans were for Becky and Lita against Rousey and Baszler and Trish against Bailey. That's what we discussed last week. And because Rousey perhaps can't compete, they made it a six woman tag team match because doing a title rematch and then Trish versus Bailey separately just wouldn't have made any sense given the feud. If so, even though, again, I love EO and Dakota and want them on the card, the six-woman booking is less exciting to me than the alternative with the title match. It also means Lita is at least going to wrestle a third match. The only way they get around that is if they do a surprise post-match challenge at Mania where damage control gets beaten rather easily and Rousey and Baszler come out and they demand the women's tag team titles get put on the line on the biggest show of the year. And then they beat Lita and Becky, who are tired after already wrestling. They could possibly do that. The other option is to do a women's tag team number one contender match at WrestleMania, either on the kickoff show or somewhere on the main card. And you have some teams that you can put in. You have Rousey and Baszler. You can do uh, Carmella and Chelsea Green. You can do Liv Morgan and Raquel Rodriguez. You can do Natalia and either Tegan Knox or Shotzi Blackheart. Uh, there's a number of options that they could do to put that together. To their credit, they are building some women's tag teams, as I just mentioned. It just feels like this wasn't what was supposed to happen, and everything is kind of falling apart around it. That would make sense. It, it would all make sense in that. Yeah, Trish versus Bailey was was a thought. You know, could have done a lot of different things. So it feels and Trish like even it, mentioned. I'm sorry to cut you off. She mentioned at the start yeah. of her promo, "Hey Bailey, I told you not to get in my shit." Right. And if you did, there was going to be consequences. So it seemed like they were going to go build to that. Yeah, but I don't know. Guess not. We could have some more changes. We will see. I guess last thing I wanted to note was that uh, sure. uh, Trish Stratus uh, has me saying, hey, now, looking good out there. Uh, let me just say, I completely agree with you. It look good, but she's got me saying, hey, now. Uh, the Miz moderated the Seth Rollins, Logan Paul face-to-face to open hour two of Raw. Paul left Miz hanging when he was looking for like a high five or a bump and Rollins got serenaded pretty damn long until Logan told the fans to shut up and he got good heat for that. He said he's a natural. He works smarter, not harder, and he's on his way in while Rollins is on his way out. There was an audible but very light on the broadcast. Fuck you, Logan chant, which they bleeped out. Holy shit. Later in the show, but didn't bleep out. Fuck you, Logan, which again, it wasn't loud, but you you could kind of hear it. I wasn't sure because usually they bleep out, you know, when it's on Fox and it's SmackDown and it's a network, they, you know, you had the whole crazy audio a couple of weeks ago where you couldn't understand what oh, was that going was on. Yeah. Uh, so when you could hear the fuck you Logans, I was like, oh, cable, like you can't totally tell, like, cool, it's keeping it. But then they bleep out the holy shit later on with Sammy and Jim, I just so. think they missed it. Yeah. So um, Rollins didn't doubt the achievements, but he explained no one likes Paul because he's the scum of the earth, a coward, a troll, a fraud and a human dumpster fire who they don't want in WWE. And this is exactly what you hoped he would yes. do last week. Uh, Rollins wanted to fight. Logan acted like he was ready, but said he doesn't fight for free because he's a premium act. Miz said as host, he could make the mania match happen. He and Rollins had this really funny face-to-face exchange. And if you watch it close, Seth broke and started laughing while they were going back and forth. So he threw Miz out of the ring. Logan then caught Rollins with a kick, but Rollins avoided the stomp and got him in the corner. Miz pulled Rollins off. That gave Paul an opening to do an overhand right, knocking Seth out cold, and he sold it like death. And this also continued the entire concept of Logan having that one punch, which was the entire build for the Roman Reigns storyline at Crown Jewel. 
entertaining segment overall. It had the fans buying into both acts. It created momentum for the Mania match. My favorite part was Miz actually breaking Rollins, but the whole thing worked, and it reminded that Seth badly, badly needs to get strapped up in 2023. He has to win a world title and have a major moment this year. Even though I wish Rollins had a more important match from a kayfabe sense, this is going to get a ton of press. It's probably going to be one of the best matches on the card, given what we've mm-hmm. already seen from Logan. And I got to credit him, who was, again, a complete natural in a hostile environment. This gets a good. This absolutely gets a good. This is what I wanted from Rollins. I know he came out dressed like bacon, essentially, with, <laughs> with that jacket he was wearing. Uh, but he got into it. He finally got into it. Biggest pop of the of the segment was when Seth turns to the crowd and says, we don't want you in our house. Mm-hmm. Huge pop when he said that. That's the story. That's what I've been waiting for. And I know he did Corey Bell's, uh, Corey Graves' podcast after the bell. Um, I pulled it up, but it's like an hour long. I haven't listened to it, but I think he gets into that uh, as well. That's the story. Um, and I'm glad they, they got serious with it about like, I'm sick of you you're doing all this stuff. You, and Logan Paul is saying, I've accomplished more uh, in a year, basically, than almost, than you almost have in 20 years. Great line. Other than a couple of world championships, not totally untrue. Um, well, Logan, like this is this on the mic. This was Logan Paul's best mic segment since he came to WWE. Definitely. This is, again, why I think he is going to be a future world champion at some point, because he knows how to do every single part of this. I hated when they were making Logan the the, the face against uh, Roman before that uh, for the Saudi Arabia show. He is so good at being a piece of shit heel mm-hmm. that everybody hates. And like, you got to like lean into that. And they are, and he did a great job of getting the crowd to hate him. Classic heel. You know, I don't fight for free type of stuff, but it makes extra sense with him. You know, you know, uh, just everything about this was terrific. Very much looking forward to it. Going to be a great match. I just hope we get low. I just want more Logan Paul heel promos before mania because yeah, he's going to get huge, huge amounts of heat for that. By the way, while we're taping this, just as it worked out, I actually got uh, an email with WrestleMania odds. Some really interesting odds here. Uh, really, the last kind of two things we've talked about or some of the things we've talked about in this segment. Uh, Austin Theory is a minus 500. That's one to five favorite over John Cena in the U.S. championship match. And Logan Paul is a minus 200. That's one to two favorite over Seth Rollins in their match. And I found that to be interesting. That is that I could see that one going either way. Like you said, this could be the the catalyst f- to start a big year for Seth Rollins, but also like Logan Paul could win too. Like it would totally make sense in kayfabe. So I don't know. Yeah. That's a tough I, I'm not exactly sure what the booking of that's going to be. Um, I lean Rollins initially, but man, it, you know, he got so close against Reigns. How do you not at least give him a puncher's chance, you know, against Rollins? So mm-hmm. we will find out. A lot more to talk about here on the good, the bad, and the ugly. Johnny Gargano fought Finn Balor. Dexter Loomis and all of Judgment Day was ringside. They exchanged super kicks and sling blades. The heels distracted, so Gargano cannonballed Dom off the apron, which got the biggest pop of the entire match. Back inside, he got caught with shotgun dropkick. Balor set up for the coup de grace as Edge's music hit, with Damian Priest and Dom running to the ramp to meet him. But Edge actually appeared out of the crowd. He shoved Balor off the top rope. That allowed Gargano to hit one final beat and get the win in nine minutes. Loomis took out Priest and Edge speared Balor screaming, this is not over. Edge later called out Balor to meet him in the ring next week and settle their feud. This worked. Let me get that out of the way. 
My problem was the match got advertised for a week. Nearly half of it was during commercial. And the wrestling was really bland. I mean, I have seen Finn Balor and Johnny Gargano wrestle a couple times. And I've seen them wrestle individually, obviously, a ton of times. They can do way better than what they did in this match. And the crowd, because of that, they never got up for it. These are two fantastic wrestlers. The goal should have been for Balor and Gargano to do everything they could to raise both of their stock in nine minutes, especially given Johnny was going to get the win. Instead, the win came across as 100% due to edge rather than Gargano perhaps earning it through the course of the match. And even though he was in a tight spot at the end, coming through because edge helped him. And because of that, Gargano getting the win to me meant absolutely nothing. It's a light good because the entire match was a means to the edge appearance and we did book it forward to next week and Johnny did get the win. I just wanted it to mean a lot more for Gargano than it actually did. Yeah, I think I'd give it a light good for that reason as well. I like that they mentioned that Gargano and Finn, I think, fought back in NXT back in the day. Um, match was, could have expected more, but it was all about getting to the edge thing and, and all that. And even afterward, Edge was like, he cost me a win that I would have had. Now I cost him a win that he would have had. No offense to Johnny Gargano. Which is like, <laughs> which well, is like, no, you can't just say no offense. It's still offensive, yeah. you know? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's in the, I know it's in the Geneva Convention that you can, can that if you say no offense, you can say <laughs> Right, it negates it, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it was, it was okay. Uh, Drew McIntyre opened hour two of SmackDown, calling out Gunther for WrestleMania. Instead, Sheamus entered. He was angry that Drew was going behind his back and making the challenge. McIntyre said it's not personal, but Sheamus quickly corrected him and got in his face saying, it is personal because I've been trying to win the Intercontinental title for 15 years, and Drew, you knew I was going to challenge for it again. Sheamus said he thought Drew was a brother, but he's a backstabbing bastard. McIntyre said Sheamus had two chances at the title and lost both times, and that let out L.A. Knight to a really nice pop, talking trash only for New Day to enter behind him. All of this while McIntyre and Sheamus remained face-to-face in the ring. New Day made fun of Knight's mania dreams, saying he can't even win on SmackDown. That brought out Karrion Cross, who charged down with Scarlet. The distraction let Knight attack New Day. Xavier Woods accidentally got thrown into McIntyre. Sheamus clotheslined Woods over the ropes. And then McIntyre hit a huge tope on New Day and Knight. And Drew would have totally eaten shit if Kofi Kingston did not literally throw his body underneath him to soften the blow. He deserves a stiff cocktail for taking that shot. Cross then threw Sheamus into the post, and he ended it standing alone in the ring. Later backstage, Gunther was angry that Pierce had not yet announced his opponent for WrestleMania. Now, this was good overall. Speaking for myself, I wanted more of a focus on McIntyre, Sheamus, and Gunther and the title itself. But clearly, with four SmackDowns left, they're extending the storyline for TV content. And that's totally fine. The booking that came out of this was a fatal five-way qualification match next week with Kofi representing New Day. Now, I thought when they made the booking, it really should be Woods, and it might be because Kofi on Twitter shared that he injured his ankle on the tope and therefore obviously may be out of the match. And if you notice, Chris, this was not called the number one contendership. It was called a qualifying match. That makes me believe that the door is going to be left open for a second qualification and a triple threat. Ultimately, we've already had this conversation. I'd like it to settle on the triple threat, Gunther, McIntyre, and Sheamus. 
if somehow cross gets added and they make it a fatal four way, I can stomach that because it would still be a hoss fest. Four big men slapping meat equals excitement. And it still equals excitement. Three big men, four big men. It's still meat slapping. That's what we want. It's unnecessary for cross to be in the match. Wouldn't be the end of the world. Knight and Kingston though, or woods, they just don't fit what's going on here. Most importantly though, they created a sensible reason for McIntyre and Sheamus to be at odds despite being Freds and tagging for all of these weeks. And that was the most important part of the segment, a really solid piece of storytelling to kick off what ultimately should be a triple threat match. Let me talk to you. The most important seg- part of the segment was not about Drew McIntyre versus Sheamus. It was about L.A. Knight and the huge pop he got from the Washington D.C. He crowd. Sure he did. seemed pretty fired up about it. He came up. He came out with a pretty big smile uh, when he when he when he uh, mm-hmm. was doing his whole thing. And, and look, he's right. You can't have an L.A. WrestleMania without L.A. Knight. And so I'm curious to see if there is a, a way him versus New Day, maybe on the SmackDown before. I don't know, but. I really want to get this guy on the mic on the WrestleMania stage for something. Miz is your host, so he he can't be the host. But I just I hope we get it somewhere because this guy is extremely over. They know that. And uh, we will see where it goes. I agree with the qualifications. I think that opens us up to the triple threat or more. I kind of just want the triple threat because I think that's a better story. Yeah. Uh, you've Seamus and Gunther and Drew, they've all got their own, uh, in, in, um, they've all got their own things throwing carrying cross. And there's just going to kind of take away from that. So um, I hope it's a triple threat, but either way, like you, like, like you said at the beginning of the show, concerns from previous weeks have been eased that we're basically going to be getting what we wanted. Maybe they do the triple threat and I don't know how they do it, but LA Knight and Karrion Cross against New Day on the kickoff show. Yeah, something. That could work. Uh, Bobby Lashley made a surprise appearance on SmackDown to a great reaction, actually, from the crowd, saying he doesn't run from anyone, especially Bray Wyatt. He challenged Wyatt to see him face-to-face. When a new Titantron entrance video played, it was for Uncle Howdy, ultimately. That distraction allowed Uncle Howdy to attack Lashley from behind. He responded with an almighty spinebuster and set up for the spear when the lights went out with Howdy disappearing and the segment quickly ending. On Raw, Lashley repeated that he's tired of playing kid games while the Wyatt logo flashed behind him on the screen. He asked what it's going to take for Bray to face him like a man. And that was really the entirety of what we got from this story. Now, you might not like this, but I'm going to do it anyways. This was another week of no build, another week without any storyline reason for the feud, and another week where the wheels just kept spinning. It was nice to see Lashley get the face cheers despite fans loving Wyatt, but that's my only positive takeaway. Nothing was gained here. It seems like this has been booked to get two big names on the card with no thought about the why. And the why is what makes wrestling important. Otherwise, it's just fake fighting. This was bad. I forgot to get the grade. It's bad. This was bad. Don't care. Can't care. I know. I don't know if we talked about it last week, but there was a report that Brock turned down a Bray Wyatt match. I, I just, I don't, I don't know why we're here doing this. But I will only say that the Uncle Howdy Bobby Lashley clip on WWE's YouTube. I know, I know, got more views than anything else on SmackDown, even more than Cody and Roman. 
And more than anything on Raw, even though I know this is the day after Raw, so it's not a lot on there, people still watch and, and are interested in Bray Wyatt stuff. And that's why he's here. That's why he's got a, that's why he's got a spot. That's why releasing him was dumb. He's a moneymaker for them. But storyline-wise, I have, I give zero shits. Yeah, it's just, I don't get it. It's got as much chance of getting over as Orange Cassidy. It's got about as much chance of getting over as Orange, Orange Cassidy. Cassidy. I mean, but that's that's the thing. It's not even fair. It is getting over. People like it, and they're interested in watching it. But nothing's happening. It's just, it's killing me. It just really is. It's not good. Uh, Omas fought Dolph Ziggler on Raw before the show. Mustafa Ali literally bumped into Ziggler, spilling a drink, sharing that his surprise for Dolph this week was not a rematch, but rather Omas. Ali was also in the crowd with a sign for Ziggler, and his gimmick seems to be one of those, like, fake positive motivational influencers who like denies reality. That's just at least what I'm getting from the gimmick. Omas straight up squashed Ziggler with his choke bomb. MVP after the bell said a whole bunch of nothing. This is a former world champion. They treated like a jobber to promote a match that no one really wants. Stop trying to make fetch happen. It's not going to happen. It was bad, but I will say I do like Mustafa's character. That's hitting for me. The rest of this is nothing. Mustafa Ali's character is absolutely not hitting for me. I still think he's the heel in this. <laughs> he is a heel. But, but uh, so I, I don't know. He is the heel, actually, he is the heel against Ziggler, 100%. Okay, so it kind of changed because at first it was like he wasn't getting his opportunities right. and Ziggler was going to teach him. I, I don't know. It's weird. It's what whatever. I actually, I'm giving this a bad, but I actually do like the concept of Omas beating Ziggler going into the Brock match. No. This is so much better than beating jobbers or doing something, whatever. He just beat a former world champion. Whatever you think of Dolph Ziggler, like that's at least some credibility building for Omas going into this match. Uh, Nikki Cross fought Piper Niven. Piper was shown attacking Candice LeRae backstage last week, causing an AC sprain in her shoulder. Nikki attacked Piper before the bell, but Niven countered her finisher into like a half botched Loch Ness slam uncalled by commentary because God forbid they put over a finisher move uh, and that got the win in two minutes. This was an absolute dog shit match and horrendous booking. I assume time was cut off here due to other stuff running long, but what the fuck was the point of this? It was ugly. Block at zero. Yeah, ugly. It did feel like other stuff went long. We got three commercial breaks in the main event of Raw. It, it felt like everything was just kind of off. Perhaps this got cut because of that, but there's nothing else to say about this. Uh, maximum male models were salivating over Otis when Baron Corbin walked up thinking they were praising him. Corbin said he's lost a bunch of money. He remains losing matches and he lost his mentor, asking them, what does Otis have that I don't? So they actually started insulting Corbin and Gable. Uh, with Maxine Dupree promising Corbin would at least get a chance to join them if he takes care of Gable on Raw. So we got Gable against Corbin. They both got some work in, but Gable hit a German suplex on Corbin and then submitted him with an ankle lock in like two minutes, three minutes. Now, this is an example of doing a short match to a specific end, which was Corbin's losing streak. They want him to look pathetic, but they didn't show him dejected or anything after the bell. And even though Gable got a win back after some recent losses, was a positive that that was a good development, but because it was such a short match, it didn't feel like he accomplished anything with the victory. So even that for me could not save this from a bad. Now the backstage segment with MMM was the best part. 
and a social media interview with them was better than anything on TV. And I'm going to play that for you now. We've seen the recent recruitment of one Otis, but it doesn't appear that Marseille or Mansoir are too keen on your idea. First of all, it's pronounced Otis. And my boys know that when I have a plan, it always comes to fruition. And I clearly have an eye for the it factor. I mean, look at my boys. You want the tea, Byron? You want the tea, Byron? Byron? You want the tea? The tea is we trust our mother's vision, all right? And she is in her abstract era. You know what that means? She's into basic shapes, and circles are huge in Paris Fashion Week. Like, big time. Byron, you bald geek, turn around. Let me tell you a story. I was on the green in Augusta, and the guys were practicing for the Masters. I saw Tiger Woods walk out with a bucket of balls, about to hit them. And I said, Tiger, all you do is practice, practice, practice. He turned to me and said, Mansoir. If I had your talent, I wouldn't have to practice so much. That's the difference between the maximum male models and everyone else, Byron. We were born with talent. When you're born, it's decided whether or not you're a special, beautiful person who answers questions or a bald, ugly one who asks questions. <laughs> now, I don't see that quality in Otis, but as the old adage goes, mother knows best. And let's be honest, it really does not matter who is in the maximum male models. We will always titillate the juices of your guilty pleasures. <laughs> okay, I don't care who you are. That was hysterical. And if you watch it, it's even better. This gimmick is top tier wrestling comedy. It's hitting on all cylinders. You can say some of it's a little bit boring and it's lasting too well. You know, you can criticize it for whatever you want. I loved the this. I want to give that a good, even though we don't grade things from Raw Talk. Um, segment was bad on TV. This was good. Uh, yeah, it was overall good. I like that they told the story like, hey, you know, Corbin's got to do something here. I, I don't remember if it was on the match or on Twitter, but they pointed out that Gable and Corbin met in the last King of the Ring uh, finals. Or a couple of them, yeah. Or a couple of years or a while back, which was which was nice. Um, uh, I, I like the story. It's interesting. It's funny. It's 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 good stuff. It's just it. you're right. It has been kind of it's been like three, four weeks of the same thing. So yeah. You're kind of like waiting for it to happen now. But uh, everybody in, in Maximum Man Miles is killing it. And look, Maxine Dupree has to be saying hey now. So, so it's For sure. good in my book. A couple more items before we wrap up this segment. Elias criticized Rick Boogs backstage for not having his notes that he's been taking, saying the only way he's going to learn is just by going out and doing it himself, like Elias did last week when he challenged Lashley. So Elias pointed out Bronson Reed as an opponent. He was talking to some staffer in the corner. And he said, hey, you got to go over and tell him I want to fight you. The whole thing got lost in translation because Boogs thought Elias was saying he wanted to fight Reed. So Reed walks up thinking that's exactly what was the case. And he said, I'll fight you next week. And Elias, of course, got mad at Boogs for messing that up. This was good because, first of all, it wasn't bad. But Bronson gets another win next week. They keep building him up. And it was used as a device I mentioned earlier for the KO and Cody story with them chatting in the background. So it's a really well-placed backstage segment. Yeah, I've been hit and miss on the Boog stuff since he came back. Um, but he's a funny dude. This was pretty funny. Minor thing. It's a light good. And lastly, the third WrestleMania Goes Hollywood vignette was The Miz and Maurice doing Top Gun. 
This was just like the Titanic one, more like that than the Joker one in that it barely parodied the movie. And it just felt like a lazy attempt to do a thematic vignette rather than a parody. The reason why all the other ones worked is because they were parodies. And this is just kind of like, oh, hey, there's a Top Gun background and we're going to make a couple references to it. And that's the extent of what this is. And I know it's kind of weird to get upset over something like this, but you know, Chris, we talked about it. I loved the old WrestleMania Goes Hollywood vignettes. I was worried they weren't going to do them at all. Then they start doing them and we get the Joker one and I'm like, oh, this is going to be awesome. And then the last two, they just haven't been working for me. That is one big pile of shit. So I'm giving it a bad WWE's one of three on these so far. There's plenty of time for the rest to hit. I know Roman Reigns is in one, but to this point overall, it's been pretty disappointing. Giving it a bad, like you said, what made the what made the original so memorable, and the reason you could bring them back is because they were about they were literally doing the scenes from the old movies that are timeless. Like right. the whole concept was timeless, so you can bring it back years later and still watch it. No one's gonna c- come back and watch uh, this Top Gun one or the Titanic one when it's, you're not doing the movie. It's just like Titanic themed. Right. It's just not as interesting. It just it, it's. This it's not a strategy that uh, makes these timeless again, which is what the originals did. Yeah, it's just the execution is poor, and I, I do think the Rollins and Becky Lynch one was fine. That was good. Yes. Yep. But the last totally. two have just been weak as hell. So look, we got what do we say? Under four weeks left. Probably at least three more of these to go. Let's hope those hit. Chris, that was the good, the bad, and the ugly. So before we get to the last word. Let's just quickly go back over the WrestleMania 39 card and book the damn territory. At this point, we now have seven matches confirmed. That's up from four last week. Undisputed WWE Universal Championship, Roman Reigns against Cody Rhodes, SmackDown Women's Championship, Charlotte Flair against Rhea Ripley, Raw Women's Championship, Bianca Belair against Asuka, United States Championship, Austin Theory against John Cena, Seth Rollins against Logan Paul in a singles match, Becky Lynch, Lita, and Trish Stratus against Damage Control in a six-woman tag team match, and Brock Lesnar versus Omos. Those are all confirmed and official. We have two more matches that are nearly confirmed. Edge against Finn Balor. We're going to have the confrontation next week, and I presume that confrontation, Chris, is going to lead to a stipulation. Yes, possibly. You know, I guess we'll see if there's a stipulation or not next week. I don't know. I'm still not super thrilled with that match, but... It is what it is. All right. And also nearly confirmed Bobby Lashley against Bray Wyatt. We're just waiting for that to happen. Uh, A likely match for the show, undisputed tag team championship. The Usos defending against Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens. That developed significantly, of course, over the last two shows. And two more matches that are to be determined. Intercontinental Championship. Who's Gunther going to defend against? I'm thinking probably Drew McIntyre, likely Sheamus perhaps carrying cross and then Rey Mysterio and Santos Escobar against Dominic Mysterio and Damian Priest or Rey versus Dominic one-on-one. So do you agree that something along those lines will be happening as well? Yes, that, that matches what we've been thinking. All right. And lastly, before we get to the last word, just want to talk about this regarding WrestleMania as well. Like I said, we are under 28 days to WrestleMania and there have been zero WWE Hall of Fame announcements. And that show is going to be taking place the Friday of WrestleMania weekend, immediately after SmackDown, the same as they did it last year with four weeks left. This is very late in the process. I think it's 
the latest the process has ever been to kick this off. My assumption is we're going to get our first announcement this Friday, probably during the day, and then they'll announce it on SmackDown. But really, there has been no leaks about who's going to be in the Hall of Fame. There have been no announcements on TV. And to be this deep into WrestleMania season, that is odd. I'd completely forgotten about that. They used to start that talk back in like December. They'd go like two weeks at a time with each announcement. Um, So yeah, I don't even know. I haven't really thought about like who's left. So I don't know. Yes, we'll see. We will find out. And that brings us, Chris, to the final segment of our WWE episodes. The last word. So DJ, take the needle and just drop it on the record. What? We gon' have a speed poppin' in a second. That's why we always say the best cut last to make you scratch and mix for it like fresh cut grass. So Jordan Blaney at J Blaney21 writes in. He wants to know what are Chris's thoughts on the first episode of The Mandalorian? And have you, Adam, continued with Last of Us on HBO? So we will start with you, Chris. What are your thoughts on the first episode of The Mandalorian? It was okay, not great, Um, clearly meant to set up a lot more. Uh, There was no Sasha Banks. Um, I don't think she's in this season. She was in the second season, Um, but she she did show up to the premiere with her IWGP women's belt. Um, I honestly, I think the Bad Batch, the animated show is better than the Mandalorian. So if you have not checked out that show, do that. But um, Mando's... Okay, so far. I do I do have high hopes for the season. And regarding Last of Us, since you asked me about that, uh, you know, for anyone who doesn't know and doesn't follow my personal account on Twitter, which is at Silverstein Adam, you can also follow Chris at Chris Vanini. Um, but I tweeted uh, for the first two or three episodes of Last of Us, like, it's really damn good, but I don't know that it's going to keep me primarily because I have no desire to watch zombie movies or zombie TV shows. I didn't watch Walking Dead. I don't like horror. There, there's a handful of horror movies that I've truly enjoyed that I've actually watched. And most of them I just skip because I'm a baby and I don't want to be scared. It's just, it's not for me. Uh, so I was hesitant about Last of Us. What I will say is this, as the show keeps progressing and the more episodes we get with no zombies or one zombie or two zombies, that I can stomach, that's fine. Uh, it is just a great dramatic show and it is HBO firing on all cylinders. The episode this past week from Friday was extraordinary. The the one with, um, I always call him Ron Swanson because it's one of my favorite characters in TV history. Chris, what's the guy's name? Uh, Nick Offerman. Um, he, that episode was fantastic. The episode between them was fantastic. It's a damn good show. Uh, a lot of character work, great drama, instances of dark comedy kind of mixed within it. It's a great show. And uh, the zombie element is not off putting enough for me to stop watching. So I am fully invested in last of us. I've never played the video game. So I didn't know that there were a lot of other elements to it than just fighting zombies. I just kind of assumed that's what it was. You take something like resident evil and it's almost exactly, you know what the game was. Um, So not knowing what last of us was about, I figured, Oh, just all zombie fighting and, doing it from one to the next, and it's going to be impossible for them to get away every time. I didn't know. Uh, Super entertaining show. Love it. Really excited for Succession to come back and some other shows, Ted Lasso, Apple TV, that are going to be coming back in the month of March. But yeah, they have a fan in Last of Us. I will continue watching this. And Chris, I don't know if you're watching it, but I am. am. 
It's it's a very good show. It's the best show on right now because there are no other There's shows nothing on, right else now. on right now. Yeah, but I, I think that I think that factor is kind of elevating it a bit. Um, it's it's a bit of a clunky show because they are fitting an entire video game into nine episodes, and so like they're jumping around a lot. There isn't a through line necessarily. Well, this wait, last let me episode, let me pause you there. Yeah, are they fitting an entire video game into nine, nine episodes? Like, is season two yes. the next? I, game? I didn't play the I didn't play the game, but everybody, everything I've read and people I've talked to said that this first season is the first game. So, and like, and then the subsequent the seasons will be the next game, I presume. Okay. Yes. Yes. So I don't know if it's going to go any longer. They stretch it out. I don't know, but like, it just it's jumped around a bit for me. This most recent episode, which was great maybe top two or top three episode in the season. Oh yeah. That was a top two episode for sure. Reminded me so much of the leftovers, which I don't know if you watched that back in the, no, that's not for HBO. Tremendous, tremendous show. Highly recommend it. But um, yeah, so I think it's a very good show. That's a bit overhyped, but you're right. There are not very many zombies and I'm kind of confused by that because it hasn't really come into play only a handful of times when that was kind of the whole notion of the show, which is part of my, I think, uh, disconnected a little bit of time but it, it's great pedro pascal is incredible bell Ramsey he is, awesome. is incredible yeah the two of those the two of them should be up for awards i don't know about the show as a whole but very good show. they should be up for awards they won't win because succession is going to dominate this cycle and, and some other shows may as well um and, and jay uso is going to win as well <laughs> jay uso maybe can win uh, i also want to clarify i said nothing else is on right now that is very false uh the consultant on amazon prime is fantastic new show with christoph waltz uh just Really, really, really good ending. Eh, you know, I'm not going to spoil it. We'll get into that. If they do another season, it makes more sense. Um, also on Apple TV Plus right now, Shrinking is the best show on right now. And Hello Tomorrow is a new half hour kind of mostly a drama um, that's really, really solid over there as well. So there are multiple new shows that have debuted in the last month or, or two months or so. But really, March is when everything comes back. Uh, really, Ted Lasso, Succession are the two main shows that I think people are looking forward to. So, yeah, with the Oscars coming up uh, this weekend, a bunch of new shows coming back, WrestleMania in the beginning of April, there's a lot of reasons to sit your ass on the couch and snack <laughs> and rather than go outside and exercise. So hopefully we can get all of that in uh, together and we don't just become couch potatoes for the next month. Sounds good. All right. Well, that was this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. If you wish to submit your own questions for The Last Word, you can do so by DM or tweet at Getting Overcast. You can also send us an email, gettingoverpod at gmail.com. All those avenues, by the way, are where you can send questions for the show about any topic, not just for The Last Word segment. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news analysis highlights, and so much more. And also, do not forget that this podcast is all about Defy. So please remember to head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Hit that five-star rating. It literally takes two seconds. You're already listening to us on one of those platforms, most likely. Just hit the button if you haven't already. That's all we're asking. On Apple, if you have a couple extra minutes, leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. In terms of what is coming up this week on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, we will be back Thursday with our next AEW and NXT show. A ton of fallout coming from AEW Revolution and NXT will be having NXT Roadblock on Tuesday this week. The Silver King will also be interviewing 
a WWE Hall of Famer. That interview should be out next week here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. Of course, it still needs to happen first before we can promote it, but that is the plan as of right now, and there may be another interview coming down the pipe as well. Thank you once again to Vintage Chris Vanini for joining me. Thanks to all of you for listening. It is time for the Silver King to sign off and leave you with just three final words. Bye for now. Thank you.